What's going on everybody? Drone on here with you. It's a Monday night, November 13, 2023. How's everybody doing out there today? I believe Alec Dom is going to drum me for this one. Cooper Hopkins is celebrating a birthday, so I don't think he's going to be here today on this side. But it's the final meeting of the regular season between the Colorado Avalanche and the Seattle Kraken. So let's get into it. Colorado Avalanche 8-5. Head coach by Jared Bednar sounds like this. Nathan McKinnon, Jonathan Duran, Val Nachuskin, Devin Tays, Kale McCarr. Ryan Johansson, Tomas Tatar, Miko Rantanen with Jack Johnson and Bowen Byram, Ross Colton, Miles Wood, Logan O'Connor, Frederick Olofsson, Curtis McDermott, and Yol Kiravanta with Caleb Jones and Josh Manson. Alexander Gurgiev should be the starter in that today for the Abs. And for the Seattle Kraken, 5-7-3, head coached by Dave Hextall. It sounds like this. Matty Beneers, Jaden Schwartz, Kyler Yamamoto with Vince Dunn and Adam Larson. Alex Wemberg, Jared McCann, Brandon Tanev, Jamie Alexiak, Will Borgen. Yanni Gord, Ellie Tolvanen, Oliver Bjorkstrand with Shane Wright, Ty Cartier, and Ryan Winterton. So that fourth line is still going to be active. Brian Dumoulin and Justin Schultz will be the back end defense. I believe Joey Decord is going to be in that tonight for the Seattle Kraken. So for the Kraken, there is some good news here, even though they've been struggling a little bit on the season. And it's not just from the Thursday side when they beat the Avalanche, but Turbo returns to the lineup ever since the injury. He's going to be on the second line today. And on the other side for the Colorado Avalanche, again, there are a few things that I can talk about here on the open side of it. And let's just get right into it. So for the Avalanche, they've lost five of the last seven games. Again, they are 8-5 and five on the season. That sounds pretty good, but they have been struggling of late. I'm going to get Alec Nava in here right now. So in that 5-7 of seven losing streak, they were shut out three times. Pittsburgh, Buffalo, Vegas... By a combined 15-0. They're also coming off a 4-3 loss to Seattle and an 8-2 loss. 8-2 against the St. Louis Blues. So they really haven't looked like the Colorado Avalanche. And on the other side for the Seattle Kraken, again, they beat Colorado, but they lost 4-1 to Edmonton, who just fired Jay Woodcroft. Alec and Ava and I will get into that in the first period intermission. Again, the injury is still the same with Jordan Eberle, Andre Burakoski, but Turbo does draw into the lineup. And as we talked about for our tree Lackanen in our last game, he's going to miss several weeks from that scary injury from Jamie Alexiak. Yeah, yeah, everything's been coming and changing here between these two teams. When we look back at the Arturi Lackanen situation, that was scary because he was checked headfirst towards the boards from Alexiak. That could have been a lot worse. So we're going to get into the play-by-play -play now, and Alec is exactly correct on that side. We are at Climate Pledge Arena. It'll be the last time we get a chance to watch these two teams play against each other, and that might actually be a really bad thing considering the way that this series has gone. So this will be Oliver Bjorkstrand now and toward the right side of the wing as this is flipped all the way across. We'll get this one to himself, and Yanni Gord, is he still being troubled near the right side boards? Try to take this one D to D, but they can't hold the blue line as it's flipped back in. Be an opportunity now for Georgiev to go ahead and go ahead and grab this puck. I mean, last time we saw some goaltending situations that was not Georgiev, and it looked pretty good, even in a Seattle victory on that side. But Colorado has been giving up goals like crazy in this recent stretch. Again, five of the last seven are losses as this is picked up. Right in through the neutral zone, right down the middle, shut down by Gurgia. That was a good opportunity right off the rush. And now Duran will try to get this one to Tomas Tatar. As a stick knocks this one away, enjoy Decord, who is known for playing the puck in behind the crease. You've got to be mindful of that. Manny Beneers will 
take a look at it near the right side and pick it up. We'll make an outstretched pass. Kari Yamamoto, sweet move right through the neutral zone, and Gurgiev will cancel it off with the right pad. So, a couple chances off the rush for the Kraken here. They look pretty good early. As we're really underway in the first period, John Hunter within the play-by-play -play alongside Alec Novel will definitely be switching off as we go along. Bowen Byram, he's going to let his rest of his forwards change. He kind of fumbled the puck around a little bit, and Johnson will get this one across the red line as he's sent back around a decor. He'll play this with the stick, brush it all the way down across the right side boards. This will be a long flip. Tanev will take a look at it, but this is knocked away from him. And here's a chance for Miles Wood on the left wing side. He's got. Tays out there is. This is picked up off the backhand now. Put this D to D. Jones will send this one across. Kale McCarr into the traffic as this one gets bounced out in front. And Seattle Kraken might have a three on one here near the right wing side. Tanev shoots. This goes off the outside of the bar. No goal. Here's a rebound opportunity off the backhand. Gurgiev falls down, but he makes the save. All sorts of chaos early on here in, in Seattle going towards the outside. Like they picked up where he left off in the last meeting when we look back at Oliver Bjorkstrand's goal, 32 seconds left. A free on one to begin things up. Perhaps a momentum shift as Brandon Tanev draws him in a line with Jeremy McCann and Alex Wenberg, and he was that close off the left post, just a bounce away from the game's first goal. Just his three shots early on here in the opening three minutes. Wow. And I know you know a lot about Turbo here on this side, Alec, but what exactly does he bring to the lineup for Seattle? He brings tenacity, he brings the speed, the forechecking, plus a scoring touch with him. Everything wanted a bottom sixer. He's playing on the second line with McCann and Wenberg. Interesting look for him. Olofsson, Jones will go ahead and take this one. That was Taze. Let it go. This one goes up and out of play. 17-08. That's Colorado's first shot. Seattle's already got three. Again, as Alec mentioned, it was a pretty good start. We're getting a little bit of replays there. Backhand opportunity was canceled off by Gurkiev. That looked a little unorthodox as he had to fall down to his wallet, but he made the save. And again, as they mentioned, third and final meeting between these two teams. Kind of a shame, Alec. These games have been a lot of fun. Yeah, we, we all wish to get a lot more of these, much like the playoff series that we saw from last year. Though, if we're being honest about the Avalanche, they're in a must-win situation if we're being a, a lot, to be honest. They lost five of their last seven. Yeah, it's not looked like the Avalanche. I mean, they got schooled by the Blues. They get up eight. Here's a chance that gets blocked. And again, St. Louis is trying to find their way through the thick of things there in a wild-card spot in the West. I know Anaheim's trying to hold on to that as well. But eight goals at home at Ball Arena, not good. Tolvin in into the traffic as this one goes a little wide. This will be a wobbling bounce back to D, and this goes high off the glass as Will Borgen. And we'll try to send this one around now for a long chance. This will get flipped out through center now. Val in the Chufskin will just pinball this thing. I think he's going to take a change nonetheless as Yanni Gord is given a watchful eye, but Gerd Gieff has it and only goes with Bowen Byram. Byram now will back up into his own end, about 16.05 left to go in the first. Again, you got the feeds in between Altitude and Root Sports side, about 16 minutes left to go in this scoreless first as it's sent back around for Brian Dumoulin, former Pittsburgh Penguin. This is a long outstretched pass, good backhanded play. And this was Beniers that stayed on his feet off of a Tatar hit. Is it still Tomas Tatar trying to get this one? He'll throw it back to D nonetheless. New Jack Johnson now. Gain the red line as he'll gain the entry here. DeCore will take a look as he's standing there the right side post. 
be sent back around for Justin Schultz. And now this will be one more pass here for Beneers, right across the tentacle logo. Ali Tolvanen and Kari Yamamoto. This one will get dumped in for Schwartz. Go back here for Adam Larson. If the traffic goes off the right pad of Gurgiev, this stays with Jaden Schwartz. Power move to the net off the backhand. And he's denied by Gurgiev. So Gurgiev's been under siege a little bit here early. As this gets sent all the way down, this will work out for the Avalanche as this still stays in play. Logan O'Connor will go ahead and pick this one up now off the crisscross. Here on the left side boards, but nobody can hold that line. And has to go all the way back there is Devin Taze. Taze now on the left side red line. The Ross Colt, nice little move across left wing side. He's going to get all the way to the net maybe. Around the net now. Is the coordinator take a look at it? My goodness, what a move there. This is shot through the traffic, and now Devin Tays will find it. Here's a cross pass, bouncing between some skates. Bodies are down. Decord tries to get a stick on it. He does, as Seattle will push this the other way. Diving play, keeping it alive is Shane Wright. He'll spin, put this back around up for Ryan Winterton. Winterton trying to get through a couple bodies. As I was pretty close there for Seattle to be giving up a goal and Colorado getting a first opportunity. And now we got a big fight. His gloves are being dropped. We'll see who it is right now. Alexiak and McDermott, the two big boys. McDermott trying to rip off the helmet. And now he's getting a couple uppercuts on Alexiak. Alexiak can't get his hand free. I don't know if it'll even get started. Some body shots. And now an overhand for McDermott. Big punches across the head. Alexiak is eating him right now. McDermott is feeding him his lunch. And it's still going. These refs are not putting this away right now. McDermott's still throwing bombs. Alexiak finally goes down. My goodness. Ooh. They're fooling again to the big boy <laughs> fight that we have been waiting for between McDermott and Alexiak. These are the two names that come to mind when you want to see guys that go, or drop the gloves. Last time around, it was the guys that we least expect. This done. And, and Bowen Byron, but there may be a bit of something here in a bit of memory because Dunn last hit Andrew Cogliano previously. Cogliano's not playing tonight because as that hit from Dunn knocked him out and he is out for some time. And Cogliano, he previously got knocked out in game six by Jordan Everly. These two teams, a little bit of bad blood already to start things off. Well, 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 Alec, if we were thinking about the way that this was going to go from Thursday to the current Monday, and you asked us if we were going to sign up for this game, because it's only a two-game slate on the NHL night, I think we've already been treated to some fireworks here, and there's going to be plenty more. Again, the Avalanche average, 3.2 goals a game, Seattle, 2.6, but again, they've been giving up a lot lately, about 34 shots for Colorado, about 30 for the Kraken. This is an entry after Olafson. Long chance. Stick saved by Decord, and he holds on. You know, if you were to tell me that the, the Colorado Avalanche will be dealing with Alexander Georgiev for much of the season, and we won't even have to, and we won't even see Pavel Fransos for the year because he's getting shut down with a lower right. body issue. That means more Ivan Prosvitov. And Prozvatov was good in the game that we covered on the Thursday side, but again, make no mistake about it, losing Pavel Francois, whether you think of a 1A, 1B situation, that's really going to hurt Colorado, Alec. Yeah, it's going to, because you, you have Georgiev, who's been, whose numbers are down from last season, but he's a better goaltender than what his numbers are showing right now. He's got to pick up the pace along with the rest of the team. 
Yeah, his goals against right now is about 330 on that side. It's almost the same as uh, Philip Grubar on, on the other end, who's the former Avs goaltender now with Seattle. Here's another rush. Brandon Tanev, he might just get this on his own. As this will go back here for Wenberg. He'll spin to the left side, right of the line. Centering pass for McCann. Didn't find a stick. Here's a slap shot. Rebound scores! Turbo! It's 1 0 Seattle! <laughs> Brandon Tanner in his return in his first game back with the Kraken after he took that nasty cheap shot up high from Brent Howden on opening night. How fitting on a backhander on a rebound as well. That's what you get your fast guys out for, to chase after rebounds and to bank it in the back of the net. Wow. The juices are definitely flowing here. I'm glad you've been able to join me here for this, Alec. I did not expect the electricity to already start as quickly as it did. I think we knew that there was going to be some intrigue into this game, but, I mean, my goodness, it's still 13.45 left to go in the first, and all that's left is to figure out what else awaits us. Again, career high in goals and assists last year. This will fall back to Gurgiev, and he'll hold on. Already surrendering the first goal of this game. And to wonder if this will go over to the favor of Seattle now that they're in a position where they can thrive. Remember back to last year when they had the ability to roll out all four lines. Even though they're not the flashiest of teams and that they don't have a true superstar, they can still strike from any one of their four lines. And that's what they want. they got to find that again, that magic that they had from last year. This is still a really good team, and they're still tying on that side. But... Whatever they do against the Colorado Avalanche, you know, like they got to find a way to channel it against some of these other teams. That's what they've been waiting on right now. It's Jones. We'll shoot this one in. Valmachuskin will go ahead and take a look at it. It's Oliver Bjorkstrand. Send this one across in Seattle. They look dangerous again. Nicely played in off the window near the right side. Oliver Bjorkstrand has just picked up off the backhand for former Tampa Bay Lightning man Yanni Gord. As they'll send this back around. And the left side red line now. Good contact here for the Avalanche. Just trying to make sure to fight the bodies off here. Olafson gets his stick lifted. Bjorkstrand send this one D to D. Here's Schultz into the traffic. Not sure how Gurdjieff can even see there. Been really good contest there for Seattle to make sure to obscure the vision. Colorado desperate. They want to push this the other way. It's still looking a little more like Colorado. Way off sides on that side. 12.33 in the first. I think we're going to go to break. Uh, this is something that Colorado does not want. No matter if it is their first line, their second line, or even their fourth line, Freddie Olofsson, or the new guy, Joel Kiviranto, converted a PTO into a one-year contract coming over from Dallas. Nicely done by him and coming over the PTO. I believe they like what they saw from him in training camp. Don't have much intel on Kiviranto nonetheless. Yeah, again, a member of the Dallas Stars, as you mentioned. That's about all I got for you on that side. I don't know. With all the injuries now, I think the obvious thing is to say that they didn't expect to have to put these guys in their lineup. But that's just what they have to do right now. And for an Avalanche team, I mean, you look on the outside, Alec. 8-5 and five on the outside doesn't look like a reeling record. But dare I say it, Colorado's reeling right now. Yeah, yeah, they're slumping as of late. Not the Colorado that we have been used to seeing throughout this time in the, in the past few years. Because they, they, they were used to be a deep team. Now they're getting more top-heavy. Such is the pain of having to deal with the tax of 
winning Stanley Cups, as was the case that they've done if Subaroo last year when they lost Kadri, Burakovsky, and then they lost Comfort in the offseason. You bring in Johansson, you bring in Ross Colton, Miles Wood, Tomas Tatar, that's great. But you need to account everyone, and I mean everyone in the lineup. It can't be just the addition and your big superstars. Yeah, it's perfectly said on that side. That's exactly what Colorado is trying to fight through now. Again, I won't make any bones about it. I still think Colorado is going to be there when it's all said and done at the end of the year. But these type of stretches, again, as Alec and I just discussed, especially through this commercial break, this is not what we're used to seeing from Colorado. And even for Jared Bednar, for the fans, or anyone at Ball Arena, thinking like that, I think there is a little bit of cause for concern. But we know that Colorado would likely be able to turn it around. But as Alex said, it can't just be on the hands of Miko Ranton and Nathan McKinnon and Kale McCarr. They need everyone else to get that going. And we'll see if they can do that as they can start to get a little bit healthy more as the season moves along, hopefully. As Matty Beneers find this now. Kale McCarr will go ahead and push this one in. Tomas Tatar get this in the left side dot as Jonathan Duran will flip it back around from Devin Tays. Played off the backhand now. And this will be the Kraken. And they'll flip this all the way down from about 80 feet, gain across the blue line, and it'll fall right back to them. About 11.55 left to go in the first round out here alongside Alec Mavitt. It's a 1 0 late for Seattle as the puck goes out of play. So between these two, they're getting to know each other more and more, even if Seattle being a young team in their first season. Perhaps a young and brewing rivalry already between the two teams. Think about last year. Yeah, and again, it's kind of amazing how much this has really spread and changed and kind of devolved into something that's, whether you're an outside hockey fan, I know hockey doesn't always draw, and we talk about that sometimes, but I think this has turned into like a must-watch versions of sports between these two teams. It kind of seems like it's transcending a rivalry that continues to build, as you've said. As this goes into the right side dot, and Ross Colton will lose it as this is flipped all the way down. Picked up here nicely by Wood off the backhand. Now Alex Wenberg will stick handle, try to get out of his own end. There's some pretty good forechecking going on from the Colorado Avalanche. So have to push them back across for Seattle. Want to start again off a long stretch. And on the right side, it's a chance for McCann. Will spin and hold near the right side. Dow Alex Wenberg. He gets canceled off the puck. McCann trying to crisscross. That got knocked away from him, but it's near the right side here for Larson. This will be flipped up high. This hits the glove of Gurgiev. He didn't know where it was for a moment. As this will be Colorado now off the rush. Wood will join, but it's Logan O'Connor off the backhand. Adam Larson's back there. And a nice play for Oliver Bjorkstrand. As he'll pick it up with some help. He's got it now as this goes across the tentacle S off a touch pass. Now near the right wing side. Has to get around Devontae's. Yanni Gord will shovel it back. I believe this was just kept in by Borgen. And it's a long wrist shot held by Georgiev. So those shots from distance. You need to have someone that can deflect it up front. And those are going to look for Will Borgen. you got to have that hand-eye coordination right up front. Anytime. Or a good screen in front. Nice yeah, be able to get that one right off the rush to get an opportunity there on that side because it almost looked like it wasn't going to be. As this is recollected now, here's a chance as Borgen knocks it away. Yanni Gord will go back and pick it up, and this goes back to Will. We'll make an outstretched pass. Good defense there for the Moose. 
Miko Rantanen. He's got it. Right wing side. Here's a shovel pass right through the slot. And Yanni Gord has it now. It's kind of a one-on-three. He'll just try to chip and chase this thing. As this will be picked up in behind the cage for Kill McCarr, the initial 24 cover athlete. He's got it now off a 60-foot pass. The Moose has it near the right side. Dot trying to keep this alive off the backhand and work it around the net now for Nathan McKinnon. Jack Johnson. Steady. He'll send this one across and get right back playing catch. Nathan McKinnon. This bounces in between his leg. I don't know if he got hit with the back of a skate as he got taken down. But we're still alive here. Trying to gain the entry here, but Rantanen lost it in between his legs. And now Seattle has it. We're just a little bit under 10 to play in the first. They got a 1-0 lead. Turbo's got the first goal on his return. Here's a rush. An opportunity now for Rantanen. Sent it across, trying to find McKinnon off the one tee. And that gets sticked away. Picked up here for Shane Wright on the fourth line side as it goes back to Georgiev and behind the cage. Larson will pinch. Away from Freddie Olofsson, former Dallas Star. Again, you have a couple of them right now. You think about Val Lachuskin from several years ago. I think Dallas would even still be missing him, considering how good their team is right now. 9-10 left to go in the first. As this goes in across the red line side, Tomas Tatar will try to go ahead and find it. They're the left side boards, but there's Matty. He cleans it up. Get this one left to right. Vince Dunn in full flight. He's going to turn and shoot. This goes off the stick of Yurgiev, but it's only brushed away. This might go right to Seattle. Here's a stick chop near the right side boards, and Borgen will pinch. Bounces up in the air. Tomas Tatar trying to find it. He'll spin around, and this will go to Devon Taze. Here's a good-looking pass. This sprung out somebody, Jonathan Duran. He's going to work his way in behind the cage. Former Montreal Canadian as Jones will flip this one in. Tatar. We'll take a look. Shorts trying to locate it. Beneers will send it back to his defense. And Ryan Dumoulin. As this is stretched the other way nicely, Kaori Yamamoto has to get through some body contact. This gets in there with Beneers and will plug it in deeper. Yamamoto will try to find it. And this will fall back for Vince Dunn. Vince Dunn, stick chop. Val Nachuskin giving chase. And this will be Bon Byram. Into the blue line side. He'll Move back a little bit here, get into the neutral zone now off an outstretch pass. Colorado has been outscored 31-15 in the last seven games. That's why they have a 2-5 and five record in the last seven games, as Alec mentioned. A little bit too far there for Turbo, as this will go for Miko Rantanen, as we've had some unbroken play. A lot more neutral zone play at the moment right now. Bowen Byram off the rush, one on four. This bounces off of Nathan McKinnon in the left side skate. Val Lachuskin will send this one back to D. Diving play and a good recovery there is Kale. He'll backhand this thing, send it back to Bowen Byram, and he'll flip it in across the red line now. So Kale, whenever he touches that puck, you can sense that speed. He's got very poised, keeps his head up. He knows where his teammates are. Oliver Bjorkstrand, Ali Tolvanen off a sauce pass, goes a little bit too far. Tolvanen tries to give chase as McDermott will send this one back here for Johnson. Johnson will take his time in behind the cage of Georgiev as he'll flip this one here across for Miles Wood, former New Jersey Devil. Stick this side by decor, but this is still dangerous for the Avalanche. Goes crisscross for Johnson, shot into the traffic. Gets sticked away by decor. Bjorkstrand tried to find it, and it's flipped back around for defense. Here's a good-looking pass from 70 feet. Gain the red line now for Oliver Bjorkstrand. Stutter step, trying to get back on the move. This is a back pass. As this is contested, gets knocked away from Johnson. And here are the Avalanche off a two-on-two. Right wing side in full flight. Driving to that good cancel defense there by Vince Dunn, though. 
It's Jonathan Drouin. Sends it back to D for Jones. Near the left side, Dodd. Drouin. Seam pass right in the middle. Johansson lets it go. DeCord finds it through the trees. Seattle's doing a very good job of matching every which turn that Colorado has made. Yes. We, we know how, how much of a speedy team the Avalanche are. When, no matter who it is up on their line, if we talk about Kale McCarr, we talk about David McKinnon, some of the fastest guys on the ice, but Seattle, they have matched them on every which way, no matter who's out there on the ice between Vince Dunn, as he mentioned, Jamie Oleksiak, some of the standout defenders like Adam Larson or Alex Wenberg, Yanni Gord, everyone's contributing. It's really good to see. Is it one of those situations, though, I know it's kind of an open-ended question, Alec, is it one of those situations that these two teams just know each other so well? Or is it, you know what, kind of expecting Colorado, I think, maybe a little bit to get out of this funk, that Seattle's got to play a good game here? I think it may be a bit of both, because we're expecting Colorado to get out of this funk, but also Seattle knows Colorado so well, especially with Dave Axel matching Jared Bednar in each of the coaching tactics. A sentence I never thought I would say when he was as a was the head coach of the Flyers. Right. No. I mean, you, you couldn't have expected this. I mean, I understand how teams come together. And the Seattle Kraken had a little bit of a lull when the Vegas Golden Knights never did. But the way that they built it in their second year, now going into their third, this is still a really good team. And Dave Hextall is a really good coach in the program and everything else that they have in Seattle. I feel like this is going to be a dangerous team for years to come. Yeah, just, yeah it's, a, it's a case of when their young prospects finally break out and up to the big club. This year is a contract year for Alex Wenberg. If he's not retained by them, we can see more and more of Shane Wright further down the road. We talk about Ty Cartier, who's been a mainstay up in the Seattle lineup in the playoffs. And now we can get to see him and Wright on the same line later on. Yeah, and you mentioned that with Wenberg. And again, I'm not saying anything bad about Shane Wright. I haven't seen enough of him to know consistently that he would be getting more playing time over Alex Wenberg. I mean, you don't want to have those losses like that, especially, I mean, let's be honest. Andre Burakovsky hasn't spent enough time healthy right now for the Kraken since being picked up by the Avalanche. Yeah, if he played a full season last year, you could reckon he'd be their points leader. Instead, he played 40-something games, and he didn't even see a single playoff game. Not that it mattered for Seattle, because the Kraken beat down the, the previous defending champions in that seventh game without Burakovsky. Yeah, and as you said, though, like we mentioned, you need that depth, and you kind of wonder, you want those other prospects, especially Shane Wright being one of the very high picks to make that push, but if he's not ready at this point, again, I think Shane is still only 19 on that side. Ryan Winterton is about 20. Again, both of their ages combined, I don't even think they're old and that older than Pierre-Edward Belmar. <laughs> yeah, you know, Belmar, he's been healthy scratched for this game, but they want to bring more of a veteran presence on that fourth line, if I'm imagining what Ron Francis had to say. No, people are going back between the Shane Wright and Uri Slavkovsky discourse, it was no doubt that these one these picks between these two, Shimon Nemec and Logan Cooley, were going to be project picks between Montreal, New Jersey, Arizona, and Seattle. Yeah, I think you said that right. And again, when I think about Slavkovsky, I just 
I feel bad because Montreal is another one of those teams that are really seem to be on the precipice. I think Martin Samoui's done a great job. Kind of wonder if they rush to bring him up there too quickly. That's what I think because that, that was a, that's just a common theme when you see first overall picks being rushed into right. the lineup. But already we speak of first overall picks. Another name that's worth mentioning. We can get to this later on, but Alexei Lafreniere. Yeah, that's another good example there, especially for a veteran team like New York, as it's about 5.35 left to go in the first. McDermott going to try to go ahead and get one. we got our first penalty call. It's a tripping. I'll see if I can tell you who it's on. They're pointing at Jerome Kimaranta and Will Borgen at the Altitude Sports Network. So as we get the call, it's going to be Borgen as he tripped up Kimaranta. So nice job there from the X-Star who came over on a PTO to draw the penalty as he, he got visibly tripped up along for the boards with both not only Borgen but also Cartier close on him at the near corner. So I know on the other side Dave Hextall is kind of wondering what's going on but I think Alec and I can tell you this. Big moment early in this game with 534 as the Avalanche essentially get the first power play. A little offsetting fighting majors between McDermott and Alexiak. Somebody falls down as this is picked up now for Kel McCarr. This is knocked away. Wenberg and Tatum, two on one. Kel McCarr is one of the best though. Set the cross back in. Scores! A short-handed goal! And the lineup with Turbo continues to get it done! The Kraken who have killed out three <laughs> Avalanche power plays in the last meeting continue to pick up the pace going one further. How's about a taste of shorthanded magic from Turbo and Wenberg? We were talking about Wenberg earlier and how he's on a contract year to see if he and Sh if he is going to stay or not, if that leads to more ice time from Shane Wright. Well, Wenberg, he elevated that yeah. to the 10th floor up in the penthouse. Nicely done between him and Tanev. And, and what more can the lone-ass defender kill McCarr do back there? I mean, he was walking up the pass, sliding out to protect it, and he had, he had the right idea in cutting up that pass. Though, it, took, it was like it was a little more puck luck going towards Seattle's weight. I see something on my screen with the referee. Are they trying to challenge this? Turbo was really distressed on that, so he says Wimberg got the goal. I think... Uh, Jared Bednar is going to challenge for offsides, maybe. Yeah, I think Jared Bednar is challenging for a potential offside because perhaps we talk about the speed of Tanev. Bednar is arguing that he was a step or two a bit ahead on the play. That's what Bednar is trying to argue. Are we going to get goaltender interference on the other side is what I'm seeing now from the offsides. What I saw here on the Root Sports feed is Tanev might have got his right skate in on Gergiev, which stopped him from making another opportunity, but I'll be honest here with you on this one, on my look, Gergiev's already made two saves with the left pad. I don't think he would have been able to reach out there anyway to deny a third opportunity. I don't think this should count against Seattle, but we'll see what they say. Yeah, I don't think it should because he was sliding from left to right either way. The skate didn't matter in the end, in my, in our opinion, John. I mean, we talk about how we're like-minded. We, we can agree on the fact that even if Tanev got a bit of a skate on Georgiev, 
I don't think this matters that much. That's where I'm going with the two on that side. So it was challenged for goaltender interference to make sure that I got that correct. I don't want to say the offsides because I wasn't sure. But immediately when they showed it with Tanev, that's what I was assuming because we're talking about the speed side. But it is pretty amazing. Again, I asked you what did he bring, and I know you nailed all those points to throw out there. But it's hard to believe that Tanev, I mean, he hasn't played in a few weeks here, Alec, but he's already potentially maybe getting two points in the back pocket. Potentially. In his first game back in a month. I mean, nearly a month. It was opening night since we last saw them. So what's the call? They're calling goaltender interference. Man, I think that's a tough call. Turbo's pretty upset on that side. Not incensed, but honestly, I don't blame him. But it's back to 1-0. I don't blame Tanner for getting upset at this call. He didn't mean running into Georgiev's left pad, and that's not the intent that he was trying to make, and because he was going so fast on the play that eventually we thought the challenge was for offside. Yeah. I feel that the offside challenge would have made more sense. The goaltender interference one, I don't know about that one. Yeah, unless we were talking about something like IIHF rules, those are... Pretty much as soon as you make contact, about it's an automatic on that, so it'll be turned away. In NHL, it's more interpretation. and It's tough to imagine Gergiev wouldn't have been able to even make a third save. It was kind of inconsequential. But as it stands, Colorado gets to resume their power play, and that shorthanded goal never happened. They can make this a 1-1 game. It's kind of where they wanted to be. Cal McCarr, Ryan Johansson, as is for Kale. Starter step long, wrist shot, almost hit the outside of the post. That's picked up by... Nico Rantanen, and now Johansson. Send this back for Kale near the right side of the blue line. Now Johansson, stutter step, cross pass. Nathan McKinnon can't find a lane yet. Nathan McKinnon fakes the shot, try to get to Johansson, and this one sent down. So Colorado's first power play of the game, down to 55 seconds. If you can believe this, 2 for 28 on the power play in the last seven games. Are you kidding me with this personnel? As it's... Nathan McKinnon, and off the window for Bell Lachuskin, near the left side. McKinnon will send this one across as will be intercepted by McCann and successfully cleared down the ice. <clears throat> About 40 seconds left to go on that power play side. Good entry there for Nachuskin. As it's McCann, he'll get the pick though. And Seattle is doing a great job on this first kill. Again, they had a shorthanded goal that was turned aside, so this is essentially a success as long as they don't get scored on in the next 20 seconds. Here's a drop-off for Jonathan Drouin. Full flight to Tatar. Half spin. Late for Ross Colton. This is Devon Tays. Near the left side red line now. Drouin will play crisscross. As this gets intercepted, Dumoulin will get this one nicely in Seattle. Expert penalty killing. They flip this one all the way down the ice. That was a good job there, uh, Alec. Very good. Even though the shorthanded goal didn't count, as long as he didn't get scored on, that is good. But I'm in disbelief about that lackluster power play numbers from all Colorado side. 2 for 28 in their last seven? What? Yeah, that does not make any sense with this team personnel. I mean, you really can't slice it any other way. I don't know what Jared Bednar and everyone else are going to be thinking right now, but they got to get back to the workshop here, back to the drawing board, and figure things out because... That's why you're going to be losing five of the last seven with numbers like that. The shorts. This one will get knocked away. Uh, 2.50 left to go in this first. Long outstretched pass for Borgen, but it gets intercepted across the tentacle S. 
Here's an opportunity for Logan O'Connor. This goes off a couple Seattle bodies. 2.40 left to go in this first. Near the left side. Some contact there. Logan O'Connor in behind the cage. Decord on the butterfly in the left post. As this will be picked up for Jaden Shorts. Shorts will spin in his own end. Send it back to Dean. Here for Will Borgen. Play crisscross with Jaden. And now in behind the cage for Dumoulin. As it's 10-5 shots, Seattle up on the board, 1-0. We thought it was a shorthanded goal, but it was taken away from goaltender interference. It was a good challenge by Bednar, and they needed it, did Colorado. As Alexander Gurgiev plays this in off the window, Adam Larson might get this interception and now push the other way. As this is in the Chuskin cross pass, and Decord is down. They got a piece of it with the left pad. It was a two-on-one, but it didn't materialize for the avalanche. Sent the other way for Bjorkstrand, but a sticks and it knocks it out of the zone. As it's flipped down here for Rantanen. About 145 left to go on this first. Drawn out alongside Alec Novel. We'll be switching into the second period. Rantanen gains the entry now. Near the right side, dot off the drop pass. Jonathan Druan on the first line side. Devin Taze. Nicely moved for Nathan McKinnon. McKinnon, stutter step, shoots. And this gets blocked. Seattle trying to find it. Make a Rantanen be the first to punch this around the end boards, maybe. As this gets picked up, Drouin is ranting and gets taken down. He's kind of being held by Dumoulin and Schultz. you got to make sure someone else is there. Colorado can wheel and deal. Nathan McKinnon, he was looking for a tip. And Joey Decord made a good save. He just lunged out and stopped it. Well, what Colorado has been applying over the last few minutes on the offensive end, they, they've got to be angry that they didn't score on that power play and nearly allow a short-handed goal. That may be the mentality that they're going with in, in these final moments of this first period. Yeah, you think you got it. you're going to find some of that anger, some of that energy, and channel it into something, Alec, as you said. I think that's perfectly said. This is not what I'm expecting here. Okay, good. We'll just, we'll just mention the Thursday game and say, hey, that was wildly entertaining, and Seattle was able to pull out a thrilling victory on the, on the end of it. We can all agree with that. But going into the Monday side, I'm not going to say complete reversal for Colorado, but I'm damn near expecting them to punch Seattle in the mouth, and right now they're not doing it. Yeah, we would expect because when we go back to last year's first-round series, the road team was dominating the, in all seven games of that playoff series. For the most part, well, when we take into account Game 2, which was not the case, and Game 4 which was also not the case when Seattle outshot Colorado 43-23 and won in overtime. And, but Colorado, for the most part, in that playoff series, in Seattle, they were punching the Kraken in the mouth the same way the Kraken were punching the Avalanche in the mouth at the arena. Yeah, and I don't know what it is in between these two teams that's kind of a awoken this for Seattle, but that sea monster that you always talk about that the Kraken can be for whatever reason. Again, we mentioned this with Cooper on the Thursday side as well. They bring out the best in each other, these two teams. And Seattle, again, for a record, you look at it in the outstretch, 5-7-3, and say, hey, that doesn't look all that good. But whenever we see them play this team, it just kind of seems like you throw that out the window, that Seattle is looking like they always do. Yeah. No matter what it seems... They bring, they, they always bring the best out of each other, these two teams. And we speak on another NHL game that's happening right now. Well, it's a 1-1 game in Edmonton, and full desperation mode has completely settled in. The panic meter, forget the number.
and it got up to number 11 because Jay Woodcock was used as a scapegoat for the team struggles. Chris Knobloch in his first game. It's a 1-1 game. Leon Dreisaitl after Matt Barzal. We're definitely going to get to that in a couple of minutes because I do want to share my thoughts on it as well from what Alex just spoke about because I agree. They showed Nathan McKinnon in his games in the regular season as a long slap shot gets knocked out of the air. I wanted to mention this before I forget. Nathan McKinnon in 83% of his games now against the Kraken. So about three meetings a season over the last couple. He's been held without a point against the, Aval against the Kraken in the regular season. So keep that in mind. The amount of the workload that he and Miko Ranton have to put up this season can attest to the top-heavy mentality that the Avalanche have embraced after lots of quality depth that they had in the last two off-seasons. Because McKinnon and Miko Ranton are playing over 21 minutes a game for these first 13 games. Yeah, and that's going to add up here, Alec, through 82-game season, through another playoff run that you would expect them to have. You want to have that quality depth, and when you don't have that right now, that's going to put more pressure on your stars, and bad things can happen. I mean, think about it last year. They made a heck of a run to go back and win the Central, but they were just decimated by injuries all year, but now it's just depth continuing to be lost. And again, it's hard to believe two straight years now without Gabe Landeskogge. Tripping penalty, I believe, is very obvious in front, so... Colorado should bleed the rest of this first. They could go into the second with a full two minutes. That would be the smart thing to do, Ross Colton, as this will be sent back around. So that's exactly what Colorado is going to do. They're going to get a full two-minute man advantage when they start the second period. Oh, scratch that. They may have just several ticks of, yes. of a second left here in this first period as Brandon Tanev touches up. But that was a wrong move from Tanev. Though, in one argument... You can say that Miko Ranton made him look silly with those thick handles. This may be, in hindsight, a good penalty drawn by Ranton to force Tanner to commit. I agree with you on that side. He made a good movement through the neutral zone. He got Tanner all spun around like a top. So that's not what you want. You take a penalty right after that. But again, Tanev should have two points. He's got one on that side. He's going to sit in the box. He's going to get a really long break, Alec, on that side because he's got the intermission as well. So... One more draw, not going to mean anything. We'll go one nothing to the dressing room in favor of Seattle. So, the Avalanche need to wake up here in this second period. But the Kraken, they've been playing at their very best throughout the first half of this first period and then hung on for the rest of the first period to do enough to completely shut down an Avalanche team that really has to get going here and through this game. Because... They're not doing enough through these last seven games, having lost five of them, allowing at least six goals in three of those losses. So, Alec, before I get into the other stuff, because, again, we're going to talk about Edmonton again, and I promised everyone else who listens to this late, we do talk about other teams, but there's been so much going on. But what do you make of the 8-2 against the St. Louis Blues at home? Holy we, we talked about blowouts from unsuspecting teams. The Blues really looked like an unsuspecting team that, that blew out the Avalanche. We talked about this goaltending issues from Alexander Georgiev, and his numbers were down from last season. But he's still a better goaltender than what his numbers suggest. Just remember, last year he had, the, he had a career year. 
as a starting net miner for the Avalanche. With the right opportunity and the right capitalization onto it, you get the right results and the right confidence that Georgiev was looking for. This year, up to a slower start, I feel if it's one month, it's a one-off. If it's two months, it may be a problem. If it's three months, it's a trend. Yeah, and again, we'll see if Colorado continues it to be a trend because you're getting into a portion here where you're almost in mid-November and you're almost at American Thanksgiving. And uh, I think it was Elliot Friedman on that side who threw out a tweet and said, if your team's not in the playoffs by American Thanksgiving on that side in between like the 24th and 25th, good luck making the playoffs. And actually, in part of his tweet, that's actually a pretty correct one. It's kind of a disturbing trend. If you don't get off to a good start and get a chance to Get some points in November, through October and November. That can push you to a spot where you have to fight through other teams, and it can get really tough. Yeah, if we remember, the 2015 Ottawa Senators had to overcome a 14-point deficit in the standings yeah. to make the playoffs. If this season goes any, any more sideways for the Oilers, as we look at the standings where they are at right now, and pulling this up, for the moment, so just give me a second. Yeah, oh yes, wildcard standings. So currently, they are facing a 12-point deficit in the standings. It's going to take a Herculean effort, no matter what, to make the playoffs if you're the Oilers in an Ottawa Senators-style comeback. Yeah, it is. And again, when you're speaking into that, I'll just mention this for the scoreline. As we talked about, there is one other game in action, and I'll lead right into the Oilers on this side because we still have a lot left to do on that, a lot of inventory to file. Again, as Alec mentioned, 40 seconds in, Matthew Barzell from Horvat and Ryan Pollock, and then it was Leon Dreisettle from Darnell Nurse at 14:17, as it's 13:59 left to go in the third. But again, I'll just draw right into what you talked about with the Edmonton Oilers. And they got a win over the Seattle Kraken, and it was big. But I saw that on social media. Again, you can find any of that stuff nowadays when the words were being mouthed after the Sharks to some of the coaching staff, and they go to Woodcroft, do you think it's over? And then Woodcroft kind of shook his head. But on this side, I'll just tell you this, Alec, because I know you mentioned it a little bit at the end of the first. I think it was the wrong move to go ahead and fire Jay Woodcroft. I think it's a sense of complete desperation. Because when you think about it a couple seasons ago, when you brought him in, he completely turned around everything that the Edmonton Oilers were going to do. And we talked about it on the defensive side, and between the goaltending side that's been in the 860s, the defensive side that's been non-existent, with the countless two-on-ones, three-on-ones. Jay Woodcroft is not going to be able to fix those problems that feel fundamentally broken. So then when I get the comments and I hear it from Ken Holland, he goes, it's desperation mode, it's win-now mode, we got to get this done now. Well, if it's desperation, why the heck are you getting rid of a coach that kind of turned you around to begin with? Yeah, yeah, that, that, that doesn't make any sense. You're getting rid of perhaps what was the best coach in the McDavid era. He was not the main reason that the Oilers were off to a slow start. The players bought into his ideas, his beliefs. He never lost a locker room a single bit. He's a well-respected guy in the coaching ranks. Why are you getting rid of, of him when he's a promising young coach? He's going to be a nice hire for whoever picks him up. Let's not lie to ourselves. But to get rid of Woodcroft entirely after a slow start when he coached the team to the playoffs in back-to-back -back years, they fired the wrong guy. 
I think so too, and I think that there's going to be a situation where there's going to be a lot of other GMs, whether it's an assistant coach or anything else, as soon as all the stuff is officially done with the Oilers and the contract and everything else is uh, terminated, I think someone's going to pick them up, either as an associate head coach or a head coach somewhere else. And again, I'll just mention it like this before we move on. Let's look at some of the situations. And we know we talk about the contracts between McDavid and Leon Dreisettle. No problems there. I understand McDavid is injured at this point because he just has to be. They brought him back a little bit too early for the Heritage Classic to try to get a win over the Calgary Flames. So that was speaking of desperation right off the onset. But here's the problem that I have with Ken Holland. Again, I'll make this short because I mentioned it many times with the Red Wings, with Jonathan Erickson, Jimmy Howard, Franz Nielsen, and the like, with some bad contracts. No disrespect to Darnell Nurse, but you can't have him in the 9-5 situation. You can't have Cody Cece at about 3.5. You can't have some of these other players taking up all this points and cap space it's working out with Zach Hyman right now, be another one of those names there, but it's not going to age well. It's going to age like spoiled milk. And when you continue to go ahead and take care of your players, yeah, they appreciate it. But you know those dollars and cents here and there, Alec, they add up. And when you go between four, five, six million dollars extra, that kind of seemed wasted. That could be thrown to several other players. You're looking at a situation where Edmonton looks the way they do right now. And, and the situation that they really... Ken Holland deserves to be at right now with the uh, contracts that, and the terms that he signed. The problem with Hyman isn't with the money, it's with the term. You give seven uh, seven years, well, five million a year is actually fair value to Hyman, mm -hmm. but seven years is too much term for power forward whose games decline right around the mid-30s. That's where their games truly decline. We're, we may be seeing with Anders Lee, who signed a seven-year deal with the Islanders at $7 million a year. And, and this may be a recurring theme around. Jack Campbell may be the icing on the cake for Ken Holland. Darnell Nurse at $9 million a year. You expect $9 million a year for someone like Matthias Echol, not Darnell Nurse. Yeah, and again, you, you don't get do-overs in those situations. So Edmonton, I don't care what they think that they can do. It's going to be tough. Again, we talk about the landscape of how many teams they got to pass. And look, here's a situation where I'll, I'll leave it at this. You could have entertained, and I know they're not going to do that. Edmonton fans won't do it, but hear me out on this. You could have entertained it a couple of years ago when you're thinking about trading one of Leon Dreisaitl or Connor McDavid. Because when they're giving up you know, 100 and 120 points in the season, and they can't perform any better. I mean, they played like robots on that side, and they still lost. I understood that they ran into a hot Colorado team a couple of years ago that won the Cup, a Vegas team that won the Cup last year. But that's about as good as this team can do. They kind of play like a 1980s hockey team where it's all about goal scoring, not about defense or goaltending. That is their ceiling. But now if you thought about a situation, hey, I want to trade one of the two, well, it's hard to do that when they're injured and the production's not there right now. Yeah, it's very hard to do so because these two are two of the top five players in the league. McDavid is still the best player in the league, but he's not playing like it right now because right. here's an insane stat. This is the first time we've seen him under a point per game since his rookie year. And we can't even point the finger on him because he's injured. He's playing physically injured. Yes, he has a primary assist on the right. Zach Hyman power play go-ahead goal that was recent here as the Oilers go up 2-1. But you can't put the point the finger on McDavid and Dreisaitl. 
Another thing that I'm noticing, team owner Daryl Katz is doing both McDavid and Dreisaitl the same way Arte Moreno is doing Shoei Otani and Mike Trout. I think that's a very apropos comparison by you. Just because you have superstars doesn't mean that you're automatically going to be carried to the promised land, and it kind of seems like you're just driving them into the ground, doesn't it? Yeah, it feels like it. Let me just mention something to you right now. I'm going to throw out a name of a team, and you can tell me whether you agree or disagree. I know we can talk about the Vegas Golden Knights and the Boston Bruins, for whatever reason on that side, because again, the Golden Knights have 25 points, which leads the league on that side, and the Boston Bruins are 11-1-2. But right now, for your money, and there's been injuries on that side, are the New York Rangers the best team in the league? See, if we're in a world where we don't have the Vegas Golden Knights and the Boston Bruins in the NHL, I would agree with you that the New York Rangers have emerged as the best team in the league right now, because... Their defense has been vastly improved. Everything's coming together offensively. Alexei Lafreniere is finally emerging as the first overall pick that he was hyped up to be. And his confidence is through the roofs. He recently had what we could say was the best game of his career. Two goals, the tying goal with 11 seconds left in regulation, and a filthy shootout winner to yes. cap it off. Yes, I saw that one. I was thoroughly impressed on that side. Again, I'm going to go ahead and go through the standings and just settle it back down. So at MSG, they're 5-1, and one, and they're 6-1-1 one one on the road. That is absolutely spectacular. 9-0-1 in their last 10, plus 16 goal differential. And again, you're still dealing with injuries in Filipino, Adam Fox, and Igor Sturkin. And the goaltending has been quietly getting it done alongside Jonathan Quick and company on that side. And they've looked really good. That's why I've thrown that out there. And the Florida Panthers, another team that's been on the rise now, 9-4-1 and one in the season, who are going to be getting Montour and Ekblad back. This can bring them even more dangerous as the season goes along. I was thinking about the Panthers being a two-seed. I didn't see the Bruins being the one seed in the Atlantic. I thought that position going to the Maple Leafs. But the Bruins have been a well-rounded machine. The Panthers still are. That, that upset over the Bruins plus the Stanley Cup final run that they had last season may have given them a reinvigorated sense of confidence going forward between Barkov, Kachuk, Verhage, El Ekblad, and Montour coming back after they had those separate shoulders. Everything is going right in Fort Lauderdale on Sunrise in Miami. So, I didn't know this. Again, you look at the outstretched record for the LA Kings, and it looks really good at 8-3-3. Three, and three. But here's something that I didn't know, Alec, on this side. So, the LA Kings, fantastic. 7-0-0 oh, oh away from uh, LA. But they're 1-3-3 three, three at home. How do you explain that one? <laughs> I don't know, John. Sometimes it's the duality of franchise. Yeah. Sometimes you, you look good in some locations, other times you lay clunkers. I feel that's what's happening with the Kings. Doing being impressive on the road, laying clunkers at home. It just feels that way. Yeah, we'll see if they can continue to turn that around because... Alec and Cooper and I, we talked about that on the Thursday side, especially with Andre Kopitar, Drew Doughty, and uh, Quentin Byfield. 
there's a ton of good talent here on the Kings, but that just doesn't make any sense considering how good that they are. We'll see if they can figure that out, but that has got to be one of the biggest schedule oddities I've ever seen on that side. 7-0 and on the road, but 1-3-3 three and three at home. I guess for the 25 times a game that they show Will Ferrell, he hasn't had much to smile about. Oh, I guess he can join the Kings on road trips yeah. on Burgundy. I think he's going to have to do so on that side. If we look at the wild card portion, again, Alec and I mentioned this as we're in the first intermission about the Pacific. And you think about Seattle, who's outside of it. you got Calgary, Edmonton, and San Jose. Even though San Jose is 2-12-1, they've looked better of late because they had a couple wins in a row. But that opens the door right now for the wild card. And I guess it's never too early to talk about it. But the St. Louis Blues, I know we mentioned this last time that they were having struggling uh, scoring with uh, Jordan Cairo and Robert Thomas. But after that 8-2, they're 7-5-1 uh, in the season and they're 5-2 and two at Enterprise right now. They haven't done so bad. For all the criticism that Jordan Bennington has gotten, I got to tip my cap to him because he has kept his head low on most nights and it's looking like he's back to rookie form between him and Joe Holford who have a 923 and 918 save percentage on the year thus far. Robert Thomas is so far living up to his contract. Cairo, we need to see more of because he has 7 points in 13 games. If Cairo is going to keep up production, he needs to be the player that they've signed him to on that new contract. But Braden Shen, leading by example, is the new captain. Yeah, I like that. As you said, five goals, four assists, nine points for Shen, 15 points in 13 games for Thomas. And that goaltending tandem, as you mentioned, between Hofer and Bennington, with those numbers at 923 and 918, it's uh, very difficult to find goaltending tandems that are both rolling at the same time. There's a lot of teams that are struggling a little bit on that end. And it looks like St. Louis quietly is getting the job done. Uh, here's some good news for Edmonton since our last update. Zach Hyman and Connor McDavid. Yes, Connor McDavid gets on the board on the power play of this third of the season from Dry Saddle. He badly needed this one because he's below a point per game for the first time in his rookie season. And it's no secret that he was playing visibly hurt. That's what we suspected when he was going below a point per game pace. We know that in the Heritage Classic, him coming back to the lineup was a panic move by the Oilers. And feel the Oilers, if, if they're going up to a Panic scale of 11, well, right on cue, their power play is connecting like they never left last year at that historically good pace. But it's like they're going in 80s hockey, as you mentioned, scoring goals in bunches and then hoping for the best from their defense. Well, here's the one thing that they can get good news of. Not only did Connor McDavid score, Ilya Sorokin's being outdueled by Stuart Skinner at his best game of the year right now. That is no questions asked. 30 out of 31 for a 968 save percentage. This is the store skinner that we were hoping for this year, heading into his sophomore season after he had a Calder Trophy nomination last year where he lost out to Matty Veneers. But if they're going to get more games like this from Skinner, 30 of 31 thus far, if they hold this up, perhaps this could be a confidence booster. So here's the thing for me. I know we laughed a couple weeks ago when I mentioned I only won one football game. So I could have won 11-2 and two today as far as actually win some money on the pool side. But the last two games I have looks like they're going to be losses because the Raiders beat the Jets 
And I don't know what's going on in Buffalo right now, but they are, have the ball. They might lose to Denver. They're supposed to cover seven and a half. They might fall to five and five on the season as they're down 21-15 with the ball with five minutes left. My goodness, Buffalo has been very underwhelming. You know, I never thought I would say this, but it appears the Sabres look, are looking to have more hope than the Bills have right now. Yes. <laughs> the Bills, from what we're seeing right now, there are several problems that are rising. Their game plan hasn't changed since 2020, as it mostly involves Josh Allen. The defense is undermanned as they lost their two key faces, plus the, the offensive play calling not up to par through these years. Their best shots, they had it and lost them 13 seconds two years ago. That was their best chance. It's really hard, Alec, when you have superstar players. I mean, some people wouldn't call Josh Allen a superstar. I think he could definitely be a superstar quarterback. They got some primetime receivers and good defensive players who have been banged up this year. But, yeah, it's been underwhelming. And when you don't contribute and you have that type of roster, again, you're going to not have fun when you look on social media on that side. But uh, that's where they are right now. I know we're going to be getting into the second period, so I'll let you take it away. And it appears that throughout this first period, I was having trouble with my internet connection in and out. It was spotty, but it appears it's back to full strength, John. So okay. Sam Molinsky making his NHL debut. He's the defenseman wearing number 70 in the Cerulean and Burgundy for the Avalanche. Nice feat for him. I like that on that side. We'll see if that depth continues to shine through. Colorado needs a goal here. They're only down one. They thought they were going to be down two after the short-handed one was called back. So here we go. And certainly you nailed it there, John. That the, This could be very likely a 2 nothing cracking game had it not been for the wave and the waved-off goal from Alex Wenberg. Brandon Tannen was looking for point number two. It would have been an assist here. David McKinnon with speed. Brings this up here as Valley Natushkin. Brings it back to me. I said McDavid. I meant McKinnon. He, now McCarr onto the left side. Then return pass for McCarr up to the point and then to the left side. Right back to McCarr. Bo's raining down here at Seattle. They remember what happened in game three last year. And Georgia Card all over this puck. In this opening 45 seconds. Valley Natushkin trying to get the tip. Alec Nava John here. And climate push. We were here together in game three. Yeah, it's a lot of fun on this side when you watch these teams play. That was a ricochet of a shot from Kel McCarr. Bounced right out in front for Val Lashuskin. That would have been a tough break for Joey Decord. But all of a sudden, here comes the puck, but he found it. And Phil and I get the idea that McCarr fired this wide intentionally so that the Chushkin can pick up the rubbish and clean it up right to the net. Good keeping by the Avalanche, but this did not land on one of the ash skates. Wenberg clears this all the way down, and now Makaro will start being up as the booze continue to rain down here. Drop pass for, who I believe is Miko Rante, who will feed it to McKinnon. Onto the right side for Ryan Johansson, former National Predator. Before that, he was a Columbus Blue Jacket. Low tie up along the far side. This puck exits nicely done by Seattle, but we may have a whistle here. Valerie Natushkin may be in the middle of this. I think he's going to be sent to the box, so this cancels out the power play. 48 seconds before a four. 
Yeah, you got the trip near the right side of the boards as Seattle was getting that out, so it does cancel it out. And Seattle will go to the par play there. It was Wenberg that got tied up a little bit, and Machuskin got the stick pretty much where he, where he shouldn't. Yeah, the area where it's always dangerous trying to, and when you're trying to go for the puck and you accidentally tie up another player's legs, that's the, that's the no-no area. So what can Seattle do here on a 4-on-4? Hey, even for uh, Colorado Avalanche, you got plenty of space to work with, and Colorado needs goals. They need it badly considering they have just six shots this far. Even after this face-off win from Ross Colton, he scored the Stanley Cup winning goal in 2021 in Game 5. one nothing victory for the Lightning over the Canadians in that game. Colorado getting set. This is passed up to the left side for Bowen Byron. Byron on the entry feed. Pass it to himself up of Seattle skates, but gets cut away. And here's a breakaway opportunity for Oliver Bjorkstrand. Here's Bjorkstrand. Smoked it wide of the net. Oh. He had the game winner with 32 seconds left four nights ago. He wanted to extend it to 2 nothing. Goodness. Yeah, that seems like something he definitely could have got better on. I mean, hey, you got a two-on-one. I wouldn't even mind Alec and the potential to shoot for a rebound there because McCann looked like he was matching step for step with Georgiev. This, well, Georgiev actually might have gotten a piece of this now that we've gotten the replay of it, but Bjorkstrand, he wanted to go for that. He was going five-hole the entire way. Yeah, I think that's a good call by you. I saw that immediately, too. I think Georgiev did just get a piece of it to brush it wide. Yeah, indeed. It was Georgiev getting a piece. We're looking between this game, the one we're covering, and Islanders Oilers. The Oilers having a 3-1 lead. Power play for the Kraken in 12 seconds as they cycle it into Colorado zone. Now 10 seconds. They move it out here and then kill some time off. Here's Wentberg. He'll feed it over to the right side. Just as they're getting their power play unit on, they'll have a minute 13 of power play time to work with as Ben Stone will get starting up from his own end. Now here's a drop pass. For Jaden Schwartz, will lead the rush. Schwartz will feed this up off of Beniers. Beniers with the puck handling on his backhand. Will feed it over to the right side. Now moving down low for a pass to Schwartz. And then right back for McCann. Don and McCann go tape to tape. Here's McCann. But for Yamamoto, the shot is blocked off the leg. He gets his own puck back. Over to Don. Will fed it over to Beniers. Beniers down low for it. from Schwartz. And it sets up wide of the net. Seattle still with this puck. Nice keep in for the moment, but the abs clear all the way to Joey Decord, who's the starter tonight. Philip Grubauer gets the day off unless Decord gets pulled. Schwartz over to the left side for Beniers, and then the pass right back for Schwartz. Slice right by between him and Byram. Colorado tries to clear, but nice keep in by the Kraken over at Gretzky's office. Beniers tied up by Miles Wood. And Wood forced that one out nicely. Five seconds left. Maybe one last chance chance for Rush. But they'll get no shot on this power play to end it off. 11-6 is shots in favor of the Kraken so far in this game. 16-40 second period. Will Borgen will fire this over to the far corner of the ice. Yanni Gord keeps it down low. After it is McCann who gets tied up and loses the puck. The, the Avalanche pick it up. Handling over the neutral zone. Now moving it across is the Tushkin. Who gets fought off by Ty Tartier. Now behind in Gretzky's office. The Kraken take over. McCann fires to this out. Avalanche pick it up. And Ward Diaz has to brace himself for a heavy hit. The core from the trapezoid. He'll get it over to his left. 
Well, this bad guy won't now. Turnover! That coach gets stopped by the court. That could have been dangerous. But Cannon passed right back to the point. And no firing shot from Caleb Jones. Jones behind the net. He'll feed it right back for Nathan McKinnon. Now here's Caleb. Off for McCarr. McCarr fires it. And there's a deflection there that does not go towards the net. Seattle trying to pick this up and clearing. Cannot do so. Branson gets tied up and shoved right towards the court by one of the Kraken. Surprise, that was not cleared out by Seattle. But now here's McKinnon who tries to find and Branson right back. But nothing else can be done there. But now picking this up is Caleb Jones. One-timer from the left circle. And there was one of the members of the Kraken that got a block. But nice cave in by McCarr. Down low. Tick, tackle, throw it! Right in that, the puck is loose. Comes back to McCarr. Bounced off of the court pads. And still in the play. McCarr, once again, tic-tac-toe. Nothing doing in the high slot. Seattle picks it up. McCann clears it down, but they cannot breathe. Five minutes into the second period. Seattle now 10 block shots in this game. And it's just five minutes into the second period. Tomas Tatar on the chip and chase. Tries to go over to throw in, but can't do so. Johansson keeps it in over to the far corner. Now Seattle sweeps it around and plays it out. Jaden Schwartz tied up by one of the abs. That was Johansson. Now it comes back to the Colorado end. And then fed up for, for Johansson. The court comes out. Risky move playing this out to one of the Kraken, but it paid off. When the abs falls down, Seattle plays this over to neutralize where it's picked up by Brandon Tanner. Tries to go around Taze. Taze rejects him on the shot, denying him a clean look. Puck still at the Colorado zone. Seattle keeps his in. Puck goes over to Yamamoto, former Oiler. One-timer! And that was blocked in front. Might have been some friendly fire, but we'll see who get the, got the block. O'Connor on on the move as he goes right around through Gretzky's office. Center out in front for Johansson. And that shot was slowed down, making life easier for Joey to cord. 6-0-4 into the second period as we head. Commercial break. Well, that was a great job by you, Alec, on that side because the action was all over on that side. And if it wasn't for those heroic blocks, and you know what, we've seen a lot of them on the Thursday side, there could have been some goals because that was Colorado's best pressure. And Seattle had about four or five opportunities to get the puck out of the zone. They couldn't do it. Tic tac toe passing, as you mentioned, between McKinnon, Ranton, and McCarr for shots that just missed. Seattle's probably fortunate this game isn't tied. Yeah, Seattle has to be bringing a sigh of relief about this, about the outcome of this, uh, of the second period thus far, because it's very different from what it was in the first period. They're up one nothing, but they're fortunate that still one nothing because that could have been say two one Colorado. Yeah, they were all over there on the pressure side of it. So let's say in our other game that's going on right now, Edmonton holds on to a three one and they get a victory over the Islanders. What's up next for the oil up for the Oilers? So you get a rematch against Seattle on the Wednesday side. We'll throw that one aside. They go on an East Coast road trip. It's not easy. Tampa, Florida, Carolina, Washington, and then they end the month with Vegas and Winnipeg. So one win, okay, you can breathe a sigh of relief, but the death schedule is coming for the Oilers. That yeah, that is indeed the toughest part of their schedule. You mentioned all these teams that they're going to face. Seattle, Tampa Bay, Florida, Carolina. Se Seattle, they've taken care of business with because they know how to deal with. But Tampa Bay, Florida, and Carolina 
are all three teams that can deliver the pain to Edmonton if they're not careful. Yeah, it's not going to be easy. So, again, you, you take the win today and then you realize the rest of the schedule, that's not going to be fun. A lot of these losses already for Edmonton are against teams they probably should have beaten. Yeah, yeah, teams that they should have beaten. Because we mentioned about the Oilers and how they're supposedly one of the favorites coming out of the West, but they're definitely not looking like, like that. Dallas, it was a one-goal game at the end, 4-3 and a losing effort. But San Jose what was a team that was easily beatable. I mean, the Sharks were literally the worst team in, are literally the worst team in the league of all those anchor contracts and were just stuck at between rebuilding and in no man's land. Yet it's a loss. You don't know how that happened. So we're back here in Seattle at Climate Pledge Arena. We were here covering game three between these two teams. And the first round upset of the former defending champions, the court dangerously played over to Rantanen, but he got back in the crease. The Avs still had it, but McKinnon lost it. Now here comes an impending two-on-two for Yanni Gord as he hands it up. Now pass in front for Bjorkstrand gets blocked in front. Avs pick this back up. This is McKinnon. He'll just spin around opposite Bjorkstrand and then feed this up over to Caves, who goes right by Tovenen. The court will play this out nearly in the direction of Rantanen, but it's kept in by McKinnon at the right point. Avs on the keep and over the left point. Shot right down to the far corner, or this is Miko Rantanen. Lost the handle to Larson, who picks it up. Former Oiler, he'll feed it back for Don and the Trapezoid. 12.49 to go here, second period. The Kraken at the long goal, courtesy of Brandon Tanev. That's the only goal. And there were many chances in which it could have easily been a tie game at 2-2. With two from the Kraken in the first period, two from the Avalanche in this period. Light shove over the Avalanche's end. Seattle trying to establish the board check, but this puck over a neutral ice, picked up by Colorado, moving this in as O'Connor, spinning around Justin Schultz. Beat on over to the right side for Byron, centering feed gets broken up. And this puck loose going over to the near corner, what this is, who I believe is Miles Wood, it is Wood, and he's up over to the left side, long shots, the core got a piece, and almost on the goal was Colorado, this should be a tight game by now. Yet Joey Decord somehow kept it out. What in the world? I don't know, Alec, if that hit the outside of his uh, right pad, but it was right in behind the net trying to bake it, and Colorado doesn't score. We're not sure how this happens in the, well, in the highest of mountains over the Rockies, but <laughs> it is still one nothing game here in Seattle. Jaden Schwartz gets cut off nicely by Byram and Caleb Jones. Younger brother of Seth, who's over in Chicago, he was teaming with Bargain's long shot! And there might be someone getting a piece of it right in front. Colorado clears. Now it's a foot race for the puck, which will be won by Seattle. Over past the goal line, they'll get a face-off over the Colorado zone on this icing. I don't want to put you right on the spot, Alec, on this side as this uh, shot goes wide. We're going to take a look at it now. Oh my goodness, that was stopped by the left pad. Of Decord there. This was behind the net. He sprawl. He makes a great save to keep that in across the goal line. Wasn't Caleb also a member of the Blackhawks? Yeah, he was a member of the Blackhawks. Brothers would be his, he played with his brother, and at times the two brothers they would be playing at the top defensive unit together. 
Yeah, I was just wondering how Colorado actually acquired him on that, so that's interesting. Yeah, it's very intriguing. I was surprised when Chicago let go of Caleb Jones. But he was doing good with them on the offensive side as a serviceable defenseman. But, yeah, that was very strange. I already let it go. Now, here comes the crack here on, on the offensive zone. Yamamoto's turnaround shot is stopped by Georgia. Picked up now by Ty Cartier, who let this one go for Larson. Larson right into the left circle. Shoots. Save your rebound. Georgia got the one, too. Mad scramble for the puck. It's still loose. Georgiev swallows it up, and everyone can exhale. Well, I got a headlock there for Yanni Gord and Bo and Byram, but Alexander Georgiev says, any saves that you can make, Joey, I could do the same. Get about three of those. Ty Cartier crisscross. Larson, nice little toe drag to get around Joran near the left side. Dot, but Ears tries to stuff home the rebound. And then another opportunity before the headlocks ensue. Alexander Georgiev, have yourself a day. He's been facing all sorts of chaos from the Seattle way. If there's a matchup that he likes, it is the Kraken. Because he has posted stellar numbers when facing Seattle and two career starts. 198 GAA, 945 save percentage. We're back underway here. Oh, there's a full start on the faceoff, so... Those numbers that you brought up are amazing, Alec, because as you just said, the type of opportunities that he's facing, to have those type of numbers, I mean, that's almost robotic. It's basically so amazing with this, because let's not lie, those are basically Igor Shesterkin, Linus, Omar type numbers yeah. when we look back at the last two years. Alexia, from the top of the left circle, easy save there from Georgia. Right over to Seattle zone. This is Will Borgen. A long shot that goes wide. Rather than a purpose there trying to get someone. Bjorkstrand passes it. There's someone in a backhander from Tolvanen. Quickly, the reactionary save from Georgiev to seal it. I guess that all starts with purpose and preparation for Georgiev. It's madness in his own end. And Tolvanen, pretty much this gets flubbed by Kale McCarr. And then pick right up. Off the backhand chance, and Gergia made that look all too easy. I mean, it may, may look just simple in the flash of an eye. Yeah, he's been he's been under siege right now, Alec. He's uh, putting on a kind of a heroic performance here. This should easily be a game he mentioned. Could be 2-2 on both sides. Hell, we could even say 4-2 cracking, but it's one nothing with 10-20 left in the second. Yeah, he has stopped 16 of 17 Seattle shots. He has looked that good for the Kraken. So, Jaden Schwartz, he was on the face-off circle because Shane Wright got tossed out, loses it. Colorado has it. Georgia places one out, but it's kept in by Schwartz over the far side. Downloads goes to Wright. Pass intended for Schwartz, but too far on the pass, but Colorado can do nothing on this opportunity. Schultz in some trouble, almost gave it away. Now he does. This is Kivaratsa spinning over the far side. It backhands this one over to the left point. I believe it's controlled by Bowen Byram. And someone gets knocked down from the Colorado side. There's, I don't believe there's going to be a penalty for this. Olison brings it back for Byram on a long shot that's blocked in front. Jack Johnson now on this pass. Johnson over to Byram. Byram stick handling it. And now on down low, centered on the front. And, and there was no tipping in the slots. Seattle picks it right back up. Shane Wright almost got leveled there, but cleared it out just in time. Jack Johnson on the feed, 
And the entry side, Logan O'Connor rushing to this puck, backhands it off, but this lands over stick. Oh, big hit on Brian Dumoulin. Just as his corral down by Molinsky. Long shot, let's get it stopped by Joey Decord after a big hit on Brian Dumoulin by Tola Shatar. Well, we don't have as many goals as we did on the Thursday side just yet, but the intrigue level is still at an all-time high. Both of these goaltenders, especially Alexander Gurgiev, have been special right now, and that's the reason why it's a one nothing game. But again, we talked about that pressure just before in the first commercial break by the Avalanche, bringing it all back up, and the Kraken said, I'll raise you a few chips, and we'll throw some shots at Gurgiev and see what happens in the wash here. This game's been good right now, Alec. I know you haven't had a chance to call any goals just yet, but the action's been all over you in this second period. It's been a good game so far. It's been such a great game thus far, much like the previous game. Yes, it has been. I'm going to go ahead and just give you a bit of good news here, Edmonton, just for today. It's a 4-1 victory against the New York Islanders. Pick up a big two points. They needed this one. They were to right this ship. We talk about comebacks in the standings. They're going to have to jumpstart this comeback. Down 12 points from the last wildcard spot if they were to come back. So I'll have to say this officially on this side. I'll, I win 10 and 3 this week. I hope 10 wins is enough to win the pool because that gets me like 60 bucks. That's almost enough to buy a video game nowadays, so that'd be good. But uh, Denver, they get a 24 22 win in Buffalo. My goodness. Buffalo now, let me make sure that I get this correct, they fall to 5 and 5. Denver's won three in a row. They're four and five, but five and five really for the Bills. They might not even make the playoffs. It feels like if we're looking at it this way, nothing has really changed in terms of game plan for the Bills. But if you're a Denver sports fan or someone who resides in the state of Colorado watching both the Broncos and the Avalanche at the same time, you got to be feeling happy that the Broncos are getting somewhere with this team between Sean Payton and Russell Wilson. Some sense of confidence for them going forward if they want to make the playoffs for the first time since Payton Manning's last hurrah. Something yeah. for them now. We'll see if, if the Avalanche can follow it up. Yeah, we'll see for Denver again. They give up like a 60-burger against Miami. That team is uh, long gone right now. Yeah, that team long gone. Long gone are the struggles in the early parts of the season. Now they seem to be riding the ship at perhaps the right time. We'll see how the Avalanche can do to follow it up. As the Kraken, they're over at the offensive end. Alec Dava and John Ott here. Way by play and color here for the second period. As this is now Jared McCann on the outside, or is it Jaden Schwartz? Here's a long shot for Vince Dunn. Easy save from Alexander Georgiev. Catching with his glove. That was Alex Wenberg picking up this puck at the far side. Yeah, Gary, you have could do, Alec, with a couple of easy saves on this side. I think he's had a lot of pressure on top of him in the second period. And again, as you mentioned, he's every bit the reason why this game is still up for grabs, honestly. Yeah, this game still down to the wire between Colorado and Seattle, like it has been every game in the playoffs. We mentioned about tight games. This was another one. Quick shot from Schwartz. That one blocked in front. And this one going to be clear to the neutral zone. Seattle has to restart. Adam Larson slapping his in. Georgiev tried to slow it down. Colorado looks to clear, but they're in trouble as this is held in. Nice to get the line. 
Schwartz swipes it forward to keep this in, winning the battle opposite Bo and Byron, but the Avalanche there helped out there, and they escaped this out, leading the rush now on the chip and chase as this goes over to Gretzky's office. With a little light tap from Miles Wood, Bo and Byron tried to go right back. Logan O'Connor thought about it, but he let this one go. And Miles was in trouble. Picking this up is Joey Decord to seal it up. I'd like to see Joey Decord make the simple play and go for a faceoff. We know that he loves to play the puck. I thought there was a couple situations in this game. Got a little dicey back there. But the only reason why Decord does that, because you got 32 teams in the NHL, and Seattle last year was almost dead last on the draws. And deals for Seattle, they may they need to turn around those face-off numbers. They got up to 49.5 entering this game, so perhaps some face-off improvements down the line as there's a long shot. Rebound in front. Bad scramble for the puck. Nice score! Colorado with the equalizer. Well, we just talked about face-offs and how important they are. Miko Ranton and Kel McCarr. Nathan McKinnon, that line gets it done. The Moose ties the game at one. Mad scramble, couple rebound opportunities, and Colorado finally gets paid dirt. The goal that they desperately needed, even though we, we talk about how top-heavy this team can be, of course it's going to be one of their star players who's going to equalize his play. The puck was right behind Joey Decord. And Miko Rantanen saw this the entire way. There was basically nothing that the court could do to stop this puck. Not a chance. Good move there by Devin Tays to fire it on. Nathan McKinnon with the fire sale. Miko Rantanen cleans it up. Picking up the rubbish and putting it right in its place. Tie hockey game in Seattle. If it's going to be the way that we could be, perhaps each one of these games have pretty much been decided by one goal. The only time it's not Colorado won 4-1 in the first game. Can't believe this is the final regular season game between these two teams. As Seattle iced this puck, not the way they wanted to go 7:26 left. Nope, you don't want a mirror image of what just happened essentially like 20 seconds ago with a offensive zone draw for Colorado. They could probably do the same thing. They get it fired on net from Devin Tays. That same line's out there right now, so Yanni Gord's got to win a key draw. Yeah, Yanni Gord being in part the most consistent line for the Kraken, you could argue between him, Ilya Tolbinen, and Oliver Bjornstrand, because that's been the most consistent line for Seattle. They've been tightening them together and still producing him in bunches, bunches as a unit. Miko ranted in from Gretzky's office. Eric passed, but this goes right back to himself. Will Borgen cut him off there. But this swipe from Seattle goes over to Devontae's at the right point. Held in, and now here's Ranton being forced to the point, and he gets tripped up. Is this going to be a penalty? Yes, it will be. This will negate the two-on-one, the Colorado Avalanche. Head back to the power play. Illy Tolbinen clearly tripping him up. That's the most obvious penalty that there can ever be. Yeah, it is, Alec, and I'm a little bit concerned now if I'm Seattle. Again, Ranton and... Good job by him. Not only does he get the first goal of the game, it's the second penalty that he's drawn. But Seattle looks to be in trouble right now, and this power play could prove to be big for Colorado. Yeah, even though the Avalanche, they've been rather lacking here on the man advantage in these last seven games. Remember, at their very best, this is a unit that can capitalize on all cylinders. We've seen what they can do two years ago, and they're looking to get back at those levels back when they had 
Gabe Landeskog, a fully healthy Gabe Landeskog, that is. They, they're really wanting him back. Perhaps that presence really is really felt. And a quick shot when saved by the core. Not much, just a face-off. It's right on the catching glove from Ranton in there. It's amazing to me over the last couple of seasons, as you mentioned with Landeskog out, you get Ranton in and, and his goal scoring has jumped exponentially. Yeah, he had a 100 and he, he had a 50 goal season for the Avalanche last year. And I can't believe that he's now the franchise in a single season goals record. We have all those years of Joe Sackett and Peter Forsberg at, at their disposal. And Chushkin, right? Back with a card. One timer McKinnon. That goes wide to net. Nachushkin picks it up, tries to go for McCarr, but this pass gets blocked by Wenberg, and he'll fire this down the distance. McCarr picks this up. You know those boos are going to be raining here in Seattle. They remember what happened in Game Three when he got that one-game suspension. What a hit! McCarr solo ever to the net. Nice poke from the core to keep this a tie game here in Seattle. Puck over at the near boards. Controlled by Nachushkin, having trouble with it. Gets it over to the left side where it's McCarr. Stick handling his way down low. Johansson, right back for McCarr. Now here's Rantanen. Back for McCarr. Tic-tac-toe to Rantanen. These two play casual one another. Back at the deep point, here's McKinnon again. The cord. Stopping an 89-mile-an-hour blazer. Gotta tell you, Alec, I don't think there's any more electrifying defenseman than Kel McCarr. We never got to watch Bobby Orr. But the end-to-end -end play that he just made there, if it wasn't for Decord with the outstretched stick, he could have taken that himself and scored. We remember about defensemen that can bring in two-way play to to utmost degree. One of the few defensemen who can produce highlight real plays on the offensive zone. And, and then on the other side, he can and basically shut down guys like Connor McDavid yeah. on his own. Yeah, he's a very special player, and considering he got Ranton and McKinnon and Kale McCarr, it's pretty ridiculous for Colorado if you think about it. Have <laughs> all this talent at their disposal. I mean, it's never enough talent to have if you're the Avalanche here, controlling on the power play, and they score! The second goal for Colorado! This is a man advantage marker, and a one that they've been looking for, and it's two to one. Rebounds, 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 and again, what we talked about, face-off opportunities. Ross Colton is the one that get it done. They get a chance to move us across on the D side. It hits Colton, it gets the rebound, finishes it off. But Seattle, they've been punished in their own end on draws, and it bites them again. It's 2-1 Colorado. Always about face-offs. Every play starts and ends with face-offs in the offensive zone. This time it did once again. Ross Colton gets, gets the, as the puck picks up the log jam and banks it in. These last two goals pretty much in a similar fashion. And John. Yeah, they are. And again, that's why you talk about Seattle and some of their numbers on the draws. And again, some people will think it will be underrated, but it's worked out well for Colorado. And here they come again. Yeah, it's been working out to perfection here for the Avalanche as there's a long shot from the right point. Alexander Georgiev. Saw it all the way, Gaines Schwartz may have got a stick on it, no matter. But Ross Colton breaks the ice on the power plate, and one that they really needed, it is 2-1, Colorado. Again, as we go to the break, and we just talked about it, 2 for 29, up until that latest marker there for the Avalanche on the power play. 
Two big goals there. Again, two of the same way as Alec just mentioned off the draws, a little rebound opportunities, a little cleanup there. Can the Kraken respond? I thought for the most part throughout this game they played better than the Avalanche have, but a couple quick strikes, maybe a couple careless penalties on that side. But again, I will give full marks to Mikko Rantanen because he's drawn two of them in this game. Yeah, full, yeah, full marks indeed because Rantanen, he's been playing very disciplined hockey throughout this match. Left and right, he's been no, very noticeable in the offensive zone where he picked up the rubbish, put it right in the trash bin for, for the tying goal, and then drew the, penalty, and drew the penalty on Seattle that led to the power play goal from Colton. It wasn't the question initially that the court took care of, but Colton was right there on the doorstep, right in front of that storm door. Yes, he was. Miko Rantanen got his 10th at 12.05 from McKinnon and Devin Tays. Ross Colton answered in the power play from Tomas Tatar and Devin Tays at 14-12. They got both of those in the second. And now, again, from what we talked about in the first with Brandon Tanev getting the opener off the rebound. A lot of rebound goals today. That's three of them on both sides from Vince Dunn and Alex Wenberg. That goal that was called back, and good job by Jared Bednar. This is going to be big because it could have been a 2-2 game. It could, yeah, it could be had it not been for the overturned goal. Now, yeah, yeah we mentioned about uh, the challenge from Bednar. It would have been made more sense if it was offside instead of goaltender interference. But still, it's a high-quality hockey game between two high-quality franchises. Yeah, that surprised me how good Seattle has been, especially from the last year's side. And whatever they're doing against Colorado, they play some good matchups, but now they need to find an answer. And now they need that answer to come here, no matter what is the second period or the third period. There is an offside with 5.20 to go here in the second period as Joel Kiviranta, he takes the ice. One of the more unexpected names to be a hero in the playoffs because he had a hat trick game seven for Dallas against Colorado, and the third goal was the overtime winner. So most goals since the start of the 21-22 season, Mika Ranton in 101. Only Matthews, Drysaddle, Pasternak, and McDavid have more with 113 and 111, respectively. You know, it's hard to believe with goal scoring coming up bigger and bigger throughout the seasons that we would get two 60-goal scorers last season between Connor McDavid and David Pasternak as the Kraken iced this. But still, it's unbelievable that we had two 60-goal scorers last season, three in the last two years. Yeah, you didn't think about it since, what, Austin Matthews and uh, Steven Stamkos from before that. So it's getting more exceedingly rare as I think a lot of these good teams, Alec, they can roll out all four lines and do damage more so than just superstars. I think we're getting to the point where teams are wanting to go up and see what the Vegas Golden Knights have to offer right. and see what they have. And Jay Schwartz, a howitzer that is wider than that. He wanted to blast that. Pass Alexander Georgiev. Schwartz falls down onto all fours as Colorado clears it down. Nice to be done to not be an icing. Edman pass. This is, well, I believe, this may be Yanni Gord, but there's the, a puck battle behind the net. Colorado wins it, but Gord cannot keep it in. He cannot keep this in. Seattle has to exit because of the delayed offside, which gets canceled out. Now the entry fee to Rantanen. Lost it to Adam Larson. Now over to 
with your neutralized with 430 left in the second period. The core played this out. Rigel has a closing onto him. Got it off just in time to Larson. Could have been dangerous. And a giveaway here. This is Johansson leaving his guy. Coming in to turn. Save the rebound picked up. And now this bet on over to the point. With Ben out trying to shoot that. Polinski over to the left side. Here both fire long shots. Nothing going there. There was no deflection as the Kraken picked this one up. Gord in some trouble. He'll lead this over to a streaky Oliver Bjorgren. Bjorgren shots. And that went off of Georgiev's glove, but not caught. And Bjorgren gets taken down towards the far side by Molitsky. As Colorado elevates this out to Seattle's zone. They pick it up. Spinorama from Reds as he gets taken off for a ride in the court. Will lead this behind for Borgen, former Buffalo Sabre. Borgen over to his right side. And now the Kraken will get things started up. That lead pass was cut off, but Seattle fires his right down. Georgiev ceases to his left. He'll force a face stop as Shane Wright was closing in. I know it's a couple minutes to go before we got into this from the previous break on that side, but yeah, Jaden Schwartz right in off a defensive zone draw that he could have pretty much walked right in. He went for the slap shot instead. Do you think if he had to do that over, he might go one-on-one -on -one against Gurdjieff? Yeah, he was going for the fast goal. That's like a that's that's like an old nineteen nineties two thousand style of goal. Yeah. Only go back to the old days where physical hockey was at its peak, and you see types of shots like these. How is there's no matter where? So we'll see if Shane Wright can go ahead and get some draw. I haven't seen a lot of Wright and Winterton in this fourth line side, but they're out there right now with three twenty nine in the second. They're getting limited ice time throughout this game. It's a young fourth line. It looks very different from what we're accustomed to seeing between Brandon Tanev, Pierre-Edward Belmar, and what usually would be Kyrie Yamamoto who's up at the first line as Colorado ices this. But it's a very young fourth line between Cartier, Wright, and Winterton. And again, from what you talked about, if you're Dave Hextall, and you, don't, you want to make sure you keep those boys away from... McKinnon, Ranton, and McCarr, guys that can do some heavy damage because they can make the youngsters look like fools in a couple of seconds. And there, that was a quick face-off win. Jared McCann got it up. Seattle keeps his hand after that save. Justin Schultz down low. And these young guys, they can be very dangerous no matter the situation because they're out here for blood. Deep prospect pull nonetheless takes into account Riker Evans and Jagger Furcus. From Gretzky's office, Alex Wenberg tied up by Ross Colton. Nice addition coming over from Tampa Bay to account for the loss of Alex Newham. Justin Schultz goes for a ride as he is stripped by Caleb Jones, but now just comes over to one of the Kraken. And nothing doing on that shot. Georgia might have got a piece. Here's Logan O'Connor. Headman pass cut away by Dumoulin. And the Avalanche were offside. Good job there by Dumoulin to defend the rush between Wood and O'Connor. That was. It was good open-ended action there on both sides. And again, when I'm looking at the lineup side, and you see Alexiak and Borgen or Dumoulin and Schultz, you brought up Riker Evans, and I got a chance to watch him a little bit the Coachella Valley Firebirds and the Hershey Bears in the Game 7 side. He looked pretty good, but I know the 19-year-old still got a little bit of seasoning to do. He was a good offensive defenseman, but I would expect maybe to even see him next year for Seattle. Yeah, we could expect to see Evans next year if he were to compete for a roster spot to one of these defensemen go for the Kraken. Just remember, Vince Dunn with the first ever $7-plus million contract per year 
in Kraken franchise history. Empty pass. Larson. Nice block from Byram to cut that one off. And the pass after that goes absolutely nowhere. The core way out of his net to handle it. That could have been dangerous as Vince Dunn spins and twirls around Natushkin. Finds his partner Larson. Yeah, boy, that was a chance for Larson, but an even better block by Bo Byron. Bo clearly knows. Nathan McKinnon spinning and twirling with the drop pass where Johnson saved by the court. Now here's the lead pass. Oh, Schwartz falls down. Could have been a one-on-one -on -one battle potentially had he stayed on his feet. As he was thinking, shoot the entire way and he went down there. We don't know what type of shot he would have brought that time around as his puck is at the near side of the Seattle zone. The Kraken bring it out. And a little shove. That's not going to be tall for penalty. The Kraken picking this up. They're having trouble with Druin being hustled by Bjorkstrand. It's brought in by Gord, who taps this in on his backhand, being shoved aside by Jack Johnson. Jack Johnson trying to take this puck up for Colorado. The Kraken bring it back up. He's Olesia. Long shot kicked out by Georgia. The Kraken, a little shove there. And a penalty is going to be called against the Avalanche. It's going to be... A cross-check towards the boards. Very visible. Yeah, this final minute in this second period is picking up, as you said, Alec, and we're seeing these two teams getting that ebb and flow. Looked like Colorado had taken it a little bit with a couple goals, especially on the power play side. Seattle's looking to answer here. They know that a, a goal critical in this third period is Devin Tays. My, oh, my. He smoked Kari Yamamoto. That's the wrong guy you would want to have in the penalty box in a situation where you're on the penalty kill. But that was still a vicious hit by Taze on Yamamoto. Still, when you're, your guy is shorthanded, and with him committing a penalty like that, this is the wrong guy you want to send to the penalty box. Because that's an ill-advised play with Yamamoto with his back towards, towards the board. Yeah. Back turned towards you, and then you shove him towards the board. He is little to do to brace himself. There's not a lot he can do to that. No, and it really isn't any point in the play where he's going to make an impact on that side and you're losing one of your better defensemen. Yeah, yeah, yeah with that, I'll, I'll count to mind. Vince Dunn, tic-tac-toe to veneers, pass down low, as a turn-around pass from Yamamoto gets broken up and Colorado doing the job here on the PK. Devontae's at the penalty box, well, no problem. We'll, we'll play up for him to account for, the, for his loss over when he is sitting right down, make him proud. Owen Byron sweeping this around, but this does not get cleared. Yamamoto, nice keep in there, but it's cracking there in trouble. Turnaround pass from Wenberg. Down Lotus goes over to Yamamoto, now back over to Dunn. Back this goes to Yamamoto. Here is Schwartz. Jaden Schwartz on for Tolvanen. Tolvanen tries to go right back for Schwartz. Missed him by several feet as the Kraken See this one get clear right down. One last chance for Rush here in the final seconds. Offside as one of the Kraken was pivoting. You got to skate forward shorts, not backwards. You know, we had a couple of Seattle Kraken looking to press in the final five seconds. And most of the way, the whole, or at least half the team was offsides there. Yeah, it looked like half the team, they were offside on that sequence. Because, you know, I feel the Kraken, they were a little jumpy on trying to Get, get this last opportunity in the period. But no matter, they, they'll have one minute of power play time to carry over, or 59 seconds of it, to begin the third period should they not score here. 
One more face-off here for you, and we'll see if anything happens out of five seconds. It appears there isn't anything happening. That last face-off, won by Colorado, they cleared down, and boy, we can talk about these face-off numbers all day. The Avalanche dominating on that category. 2-1 they lead heading into the third. Yes, they do, Alec, and let's uh, throw this down there officially. It says 23-19 on the ESPN side, but it's one of those situations, Alec, where I'm in complete lockstep with you. How many of those face-off wins for Colorado was in the offensive end, especially on the power play side? Many of them. There were important draws that Colorado won, and both of those draws that we can talk about in this second period happened to be two goals for Colorado, and that's not a coincidence. It's not a coincidence that Seattle... They were on the wrong end of those face-off uh, face-offs at the Colorado offensive end, and with those converting into tip for, tip goals or cleaning out the dirt goals on rebound chances, the, some of the dirty area goals, as old school hockey heads would say, getting to the front of the net and deflect those in, or pick up the rebounds and put them right at the back of the net. Old school hockey style. Yeah, those are important goals. No matter how you slice them up, it doesn't always have to be pretty. you got to get to the important areas, and you got to score. And that's what Colorado did. Again, they had a, a push that they had to survive from the Kraken maybe for about five minutes' time. But I would say maybe the last five or six minutes of that second period were all Colorado, and they were able to find the back of the net twice. We'll go ahead and give you the scoring reset on that side before we flip into the NBA and just to see what happened. But it's Miko Rantanen, his 10th from McKinnon and Taze at 12.05. Ross Cold at 14.12 on the power play from Tomas Tatar and Devin Taze. So Taze got a couple points. Taze is in the penalty box right now as Seattle's got about a minute power play carryover time, as Alec mentioned. Your particulars, the shots now are dead even at 19 apiece. Shots on goal. Hits are 11-7 in favor of the Abs. Faceoffs 23-19 for Colorado as well. Block shots. 12-9 for Seattle. But the biggest block shot of that second period, how about that play from Bowen Byram? Yeah, that was the biggest one of the period. Bowen Byram was sliding over because Adam Larson, if he had a clean look, that would have been a great chance for him. Perhaps maybe even a tying goal for Larson. But Byram, for as promising that he looks at the defensive core, he's showing that he's continuing to be a staple of this Avalanche defensive core. We mentioned that he has struggled with concussion issues in the past, but so far it's not a problem for him. No, he's still being able to play at the breakneck pace and do everything he needs to do defensively. And again, for everything we talked about and some of the issues and concerns, you want to make sure that you have a player that's still firing on all cylinders and regardless of everything he's dealt with in the past, can still bring it because the NHL level is a fast and physical game. But Bowen Byram, he looks really good. And when you compare him with Samuel Girard and Kel McCarr and Devin Taze, I mean... Joe Sackick has an embarrassment of riches not only on the offensive end, but the defensive end as well. Yeah, yeah. people talk about the offensive end for the Avalanche most of the time, which makes the defensive end for Colorado very underappreciated between Devon Taves, Kale McCarr, of course, the superstar, Sam Gerrard, Bowen Byron, and you account for the former Anaheim Duck, Josh Manson, who has been known as a defensive man, but he can also... Okay, chime in on the offensive side. 
and Jack Johnson, even though they don't need him to, to contribute in big ways, he's not being asked to do that as the former third overall pick. He's contributing in ways that is beneficial to the team as a third-pairing defenseman, as as the sixth defenseman to the team. And that's exactly what you bring him in for, the veteran experience and be able to kind of manage the game in the situation where you need need to be alongside the tremendous talent that Colorado has. That's exactly what he's being asked to do, and he's going to fit that role. Let's go into the NBA scoreboard. There isn't a lot of games here today on both sides. That's why we went with the Avalanche and the Kraken again, because how could we not, especially from the Thursday side? We're getting into some finals here. So we'll start from the bottom on this side from the ESPN portion of it. The Bucks at Fizzer Forum, they get a 118-109 victory over the Chicago Bulls. I'll try to make sure that I don't miss the top-end point-getters. Nikola Vucevic had a double-double, 26 points, 12 rebounds, 5 assists with a steal and a block. On the other side, Giannis Antetokounmpo, 13-22 from the field with 11 rebounds and 35 points as the Bucks take a 118-109 victory over the Bulls. Giannis still be proving himself that he is still in worthy of conversation for the MVP race, no matter if the discussions between Nikola Jokic and Joel Embiid. We we can talk about all but the MVP race between Jokic and Embiid because this seems to be an annual trend now with these two centers being in the MVP race. But don't count out Giannis. He's a two-time MVP winner himself. Him getting a double double, but not only him. But also Bobby Portis with 19 points, 10 rebounds off the bench. Yeah, he's been really good off the bench, Bobby Portis, especially shooting the ball as well this year from some of the games that I've watched. Here's a couple uh, high point skitters between teams that I know we don't talk about very often, but still nonetheless good breakout games today. Kyle Kuzma had 34 for the Washington Wizards, but they go down 111-107. Washington falls to 2-8. and eight. Toronto improves to 5-5. Five and five. They got the same record as the Bills on that side. Pascal Siakam, though, this is a heck of a breakout game. A plus 18 and the plus minus. 39 points, 11 rebounds, 7 assists, 3 steals. He looks like the playoff performer several years ago with Kawhi Leonard. We need more games like this. <laughs> more spicy pee, please. <laughs> more of those spicy buckets from Pascal Siakam as he's been providing. Showing that he's a true number one option in Toronto. And I, I've been really high on him getting into these past seasons of life after Kawhi. And he's been picking up the pace with Toronto. Kuzma, on the other hand, he's looking like a legitimate number one option with Washington. Perhaps that Russell Westbrook trade with him going over to the Lakers wasn't so bad after all for the Wizards with Kuzma being the biggest beneficiary of it. Yeah, as you said, you get a chance to showcase your skills, and then for whatever reason, after when it's all said and done, hey, someone can put you up on the trade block side of it, you can get something of high value, and then you can go ahead and showcase your talents elsewhere. That's the way it works in the league. Yeah, because we, we talk about Kuzma and how he's been a very much improved player. If him looking like the player that he was hyped up to be when he was in his younger days in a Lakers uniform before Anthony Davis came along, in which he, w he went down to being, say, the, the fourth or fifth option on the team. Right. And, and he was not getting any opportunities with the Lakers at all in his later years there. That led to the trade for uh, to get him to Washington, and he's been 
looking like their best player thus far. Yes, he has. One more final here for you before we get into an in progress. 114.98. The Boston Celtics improved to 8 and 2 on the season as they win in TD Garden. New York falls to 5 and 5. Not a bit surprised that New York's only 5 and 5, but it's still early. Julius Randle had 25 for the Knicks. Jalen Brunson had 26, but he was a minus 20 on the floor. That's not something that you usually see. On the other side for the Boston Celtics, good balanced scoring. Jalen Brown with 22, Kristaps Porzingis with 21, and Jason Tatum had himself a game as he usually does. 35 points, 6 rebounds, and 7 assists as Boston takes a 114-98 win over New York. Whenever we go and watch the Celtics, we get a chance to watch Tatum do his magic in his years right after when he played that one year at Duke. Right. And he's been proving himself perhaps as the best player between the best player in the in his draft and he and Jalen Brown meshing together in a one two chemistry with one another. Brown got that big bag in the off season and he's been proving himself to be the ever so reliable number two option to Tatum who's a number one. And Drew Holiday who came over from Milwaukee via Portland in the Damian Lillard trades. He's been looking like the stopgap defensive ace to fill in for Marcus Smart. The Knicks on the other side, I'm surprised that 5-5 five and five is the outcome they're having right now after they made the playoffs last year. Jalen Brunson's still the number one option. With him having 45 in the in-season tournament opener, it's always... A bright spot for the Knicks, no matter what. But this is just, I, I don't know what to say of it, because it feels like they didn't get anything from their bench. Not even Emmanuel Quickly goes 1 for 10. Yeah, that doesn't really work out very well. I'm looking at the Knicks' schedule as far as some of their wins and losses. So they lost 108-104 to the Celtics to open. They lost again to the Pelicans. They split against the Cavs. They lost to the Bucks. So at least... It was the second loss of the Celtics today. So at least between two with the Celtics, one with the Bucks, one with the Pelicans, and one with the Cavs on that side, they have played a difficult portion of their schedule. They can say that. At least we can throw that out there. But their wins were against the struggling Clippers, the New Look Spurs, the Hornets, and the Hawks one other time. So, yeah, they've lost some games that maybe they wish they could have won against tough opponents and their wins are probably against teams that they should beat, but I still expect the Knicks to do a little bit better than 5-5, five and five. and the one score in progress, as we're about 9.30 left to go thereabouts in the fourth, the Kings opening up a can on the Cavs, 112-92. We'll see who's the leading scorers here, De'Aaron Fox. He does draw in one. I think he just came back from injury. He's got 23, Keegan Murray with 20. And on the other end, balance scoring across the board for the Cavs as they're getting kind of lambasted here. Donovan Mitchell took 19 shots to get 19 points. Uh, Max Struess, former member of the Miami Heat, has 14. Jared Allen's got 12. Yeah, basically, both these teams are going with a by-committee approach on their starting lineups. But the Kings, I feel they're seeing this more to success than the Cavaliers in, in that sense because Fox with 23... Murray with 20, DeMontis Abonis with 18, Kevin Herter with 17. Then you have Malik Monk and Sasha Vizenkov uh, 
with 11 each off the bench in 17 minutes. The Cavaliers, they have double-digit scorers between Mitchell, Struess, Darius Garland, Jared Allen, Evan Mobley, and then Karis LeVert off the bench. And that's about it for Cleveland. But they're scoring because Sacramento, they're looking like the team that they were last year in this game. So I was contemplating doing the game tomorrow in between the Denver Nuggets and the L.A. Clippers because that one's on TNT. It's going to be a late game on that side, so I'm kind of flip-flopping whether or not I'm going to do it. And the only reason why, the L.A. Clippers look really, really bad right now. They have the James Harden trade, but they've lost five in a row. 131-25 to the Lakers, 111-97 to the Knicks. 193 against the Nets, 144 to 126 against the Mavs. And the Grizzlies couldn't even win a basketball game half the time I talked to you on that side. They lost to them 105-101. Uh, James Harden trade right now not working out so well as the Clippers are 3-6. and six. Ugh. If you, you think that things would go from bad to worse after the Harden trade, it feels like, in my opinion... The Clippers have too many ball-dominant players. Yes. They have four of them between Kawhi, PG, Russ, and Harden. And this trade is working out better for the 76ers, not because of who they added, but because of who they subtracted to allow a full breakout from Tyrese Maxey. Yeah, you see, you nailed it on that side. That's really all there is to it there for uh, Nick Nurse and company to be able to Pretty much have the emergence of Tyrese Maxey, who has been, I'm not going to say nothing short of a revelation, but he really has been that good. And you have Joel Embiid. I mean, let's be honest here, Alec. You'd think the James Harden-Joel Embiid situation, for every time James Harden, he's been an MVP, but he's got a trade request four different times. He's got to go wherever he's wanted to go. But you think that that should have worked out perfectly. It should have, because that, that would have been the ideal point guard center combo for Philadelphia but it really hasn't because Harden's numbers they they declined every year and I wanted to know how much of a points decline going from I know the low was a lot in Houston but for 36 points per game after 30 points per game in seasons and then you followed up 34 points per game that's not easily sustainable in the NBA. That's Michael Jordan's scoring numbers. And his numbers came right back down to earth, which was expected. But I didn't see a sharp decline from Harden's form as we, as we did dating back to his days with the Rockets. Because 36 points per game, that's insane in a season. The highest we've seen yeah. since MJ himself is Aaronis. Yeah, and again, I remember a couple of years ago when they talk about an interview in between the jump when Rachel Nichols was still on ESPN. I think they interviewed uh, McGrady and uh, Kobe on that side. And he flat out said, like, Harden's a great player, but the hero ball stuff's not going to work. And the way that it's worked out right now in the four games since the trade, James Harden's only averaging 13.5 points to go with five rebounds and four and a half assists. To go from that number to 13.5, that is not going to get it done right now. It's basically the literal definition of falling down to earth and then some. And then you're going up against the defending champions, and that's no easy task because as the Nuggets, who have recently signed Mike Malone to an extension and a good move on that yes. part because he is one of the best coaches in the league. This is going to be 
a very tough test for the Clippers because the Nuggets are a team with a, a very, a very strong structural system. The Clippers look disoriented of all sorts, going up against the very team that they blew a 3-1 series lead in the bubble to. And it's going, it's going to be very hard. If, if we do this game, if I may think about joining you if we do such a broadcast tomorrow, and we may be, and, and we're going back and forth because the Clippers may be in hot water. This is must-win territory. If I okay, so if I do that game and you want to join, I'll just pencil it in, then I'll go ahead and do that game. Cause honestly, Alec, uh, I hope that the game is not a train wreck, but I feel like Denver's gonna beat the living heck out of uh, the Clippers. Oh boy! And and to note, with and going back to the Nuggets, I was a little surprised that there was a, there's a team on the rise. When we talk about the NBA and how the, the league can be full of surprises, well, the Houston Rockets have won six straight, and most recently, to the defending champions, Emil Doka basketball truly is back. It's pretty good to see on that side because he was a good coach. On the other side, for the summer tomorrow, for Tyron Lou, I think he's a good coach, and there's going to be some struggles there. There is some notable college basketball games. To follow, I think the Champions Classic will begin underway tomorrow. It'll be Duke and Michigan State, number 9 and 11 on that side. And I think the nightcap is going to be a good one there in ESPN between Kansas and Kentucky. The former transfer, Michigan transfer, Hunter Dickinson is on the number one Kansas Jayhawks as they're both taking on each other, 1-17 and 17 at 2-0. and 0. So these college programs really, when we think of Blue Bloods, of course, Duke, Kansas, UNC, they come to mind. We, 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 we were there when UConn won it all and establishing themselves truly as a blue blood. But Kansas still up there with that big reputation. They, they won the national championship the year before UConn did so, and they did so for a reason. But Bill Self really gunning for it. Yeah, it was a lot of fun to watch. Hey, maybe Alec on this side, I'll, I'll lead off the third period and we can uh, split it at the halfway point if we want to do a completely even broadcast, if that sounds good to you. 19 shots to 18. Again, as we talked about, that's the official numbers now. It's a 2-1 game. Colorado got a couple key goals, but if Seattle can find a way to get back some energy in that second intermission, who knows what they can find, but Colorado... Uh, started to bring the pain a little bit, and we'll have to see if they can find an answer to Seattle. And we're going to look at Miko Rantanen from the Altitude Network. He plays, he's played 17-12 of ice time so far tonight. So once again, it's that heavy workload that the, the two stars they've been getting. 17-18 on the ESPN side. That is a heavy workload indeed. So I'm going to go ahead and get this uh, call here in one second. I'm just going to go ahead and make this plug in on the phone side. And then we get an opportunity here for Seattle and their defensive end. They're going to try to go left to right here in this third period as it's a long outstretch pass. goes off the stick of Jaden Schwartz and it'll go back to D as it'll be Schultz. Spin this around for Jared McCann. Back to Schultz now. Schultz. Stutter step near the left side board, so wrap this around the inboards now for Alex Wenberg. Wenberg now gets taken down pretty good. Shane Wright's out there as they mixed in the lines for Dave Hextall's squad. 
before Colorado funds, funnels it back out of danger. 2-1 is the score line in Seattle's power play. Down to about 10 seconds. See if they can find something to work with here, get some sustained pressure. Shane Riken in some power play time, but Colorado able to get this one out. Maybe they could have forced the penalty there, but we're still live with 19 minutes left to go in the third. As here is a saucer pass near the right side in Seattle. Look to start again as they move this skate to stick with Manny Beneers. In between the circles now off the drop as Seattle looks to get acclimated here. In the home navies, they'll flip this one around. Able to stay on the heat and uh, Manny Beneers tried to go ahead and make a pass but it got banked in off the zebra. As Tomas Tatar will flip this one back here for Jack Johnson. Jack Johnson gets away from the head, backhands it out of the zone. And now Tatar off a one on four. will drop this one as this works right in between the defense here for Seattle. And across the red line now will gain the entry off of a soft flip. Gurgiev will stick it aside. Beneers trying to stay to his feet. Now he'll attack it as this goes near the left side red line. Jaden Shorts spin this back around. Oliver Bjorkstrand now here for Shorts as this gets intercepted by Devin Taze. Played it off the backhand off the window. That worked out well as Adam Larson has it. And across the red now, they spun back for Yanni Gord. He'll try to make the pass and gain the entry on the right side wing for Bjorkstrand. Pinned against the wall and lost it. Here comes Colorado. Logan O'Connor, drop pass. This is near the right side dot, but intercepted by Seattle. Oliver Bjorkstrand with a sauce. As this one is picked up by Borgen. Wrapped around the end boards now for Johansson. Johansson now might get a piece of this as it bounced between a couple Seattle stick blades. And Borgen try to find it in between his feet. Oliver Bjorkstrand will spin this back around the former Columbus Blue Jacket as it hits Joy Decord. So Ian Genji is in here right now, probably get him in on this side. 17-10 left to go in this third. It's a race for the puck, and it's not going to be iced. This will be fired near the left side post, as Schultz will take a look at it. Here's a chance the other way, maybe two on one. Cross pass, Joey Decord slides over as the puck goes near the left side of the red line now. Still 2-1 lead as Ross Colton had an opportunity. Tanev. Watch this one go to Kel McCarr. Cross pass ball environment of the traffic. Closed up by the right pad of Joey Decord. As it's flipped, Tanev has it now. I'll wait Tolvin now off the back check, but it's nice. We're getting at that point where we're getting more physical and testy here in this third period. That time, Caleb Jones nearly would have gotten sent to the box. I mean, nearly, like just a, a smear edge. Just nearly. How are we doing, Ian? Well, fellas, I just watched the ending to probably one of the... Oh, my God. I know you guys have been covering this hockey game, but if either of you saw the ending to the Monday Night Football game between the Bills and the Broncos... I saw that the uh, Broncos scored late, so now I went 10-3 and in my pool rather than 11-2 and because the Bills can't even beat the Broncos. <laughs> this one is right at the doorstep there. Bounces off of Schultz's skate, and Decord's got to dive to hold on and get a face-off. Okay. So, I'm guessing neither of you saw the ending to the game. Just watch the ending of it, that's it. Okay. 
Yeah, there was there was an underthrown ball, but we're going right back to this game. We can discuss this in the intermission, but nice sliding save by Joey Decord on the previous is play. Nachuskin from a car that was kind of mixed up there in the middle of the slot. It was Nathan McKinnon trying to join in on a combination play right in front of the net. Devin Tays, this one goes up and out of play. These two teams really back and forth, really, 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 and they're bringing the best out of each other. We noticed several times, and we talked about this with Cooper in the other game back on Thursday, but still, the fact that it's a tie hockey, not a tie hockey game, but what was previously until Colorado grabbed the lead. It's a one-goal game, shows that these two teams, no matter who, how they play this game, it just feels like a playoff atmosphere. Yeah, it's amazing that this is the final meeting of the regular season already. Again, they just played on Thursday. You got the Monday night alongside Ingenji, Jonan, Alvik Nava. We mix them between play-by-play -play and color. We might do so again on the third side of it. That uh, this will be done unless these teams meet in the playoffs. And there's going to be a lot left to be decided because we're still on November 14th on a Monday night. As it's Jones, Caleb Jones. We'll put this in the left side red line now, behind the cage now, Duran. Keeps it alive as Tatar. We'll get this near the red side of the red line. Now Jones spins right in front. They don't shoot it. Now they do scores! And the Avalanche take a 3-1 lead. It's Kale McCarr. Close, but the, a, but the superstar defenseman, who we described about having similar play qualities to Bobby Orr, it was wide open. I mean, nobody was covering him at the high slot. Joey Edecord saw all his guys right in front of him. It's a, and he's basically going to say to his guys, is anyone going to cover the high slot? Is anyone going to watch over this guy? Nobody did so, and they're, and they're getting stung by that as the price. Alec, that's one of those Steve Dangle type moments. You got five guys standing around essentially doing nothing. Nobody picks up Kel McCarr, who's all alone near the red, the uh, right dot. You know he's going to snipe that. Yeah, Ted, all, every time that he's left wide open at the high slot, he's just going to fire a bullet of a wrist shot. 15-20 left to go in the third. Is this going to be the kill shot for the Colorado Avalanche again? We mentioned that they've lost five of the last seven. They got smoked by the St. Louis Blues. They lost 8-2, to two, and that was at Ball Arena on that side. They need the answer here. Here's a cross pass. Yamamoto spin and turn, and the ref's hand is not up in the air. This is still alive now. Logan O'Connor holding on to that protect puck. Is this a spun back around? Ross Colton. Here's a slap shot. Huge rebound. And this one goes wide of Decord. I thought that was going to go in. Colorado's still with it now near the red right side dot. Here's a chance goes wide as it's picked up now for Johnson. He will pinch to keep this alive for the Avalanche now. They're really buzzing from this Kale McCarr goal. And Seattle essentially, I like, they've had no answers since giving up two straight in that second period. It really feels that way. It's Vince Dunn. That's to start this in his own end with Adam Larson. Going to try to go left to right in the home navies. Again, the Cerulean Maroon. They have this now. Val on the Chewskin. Little spin near the left side dot off the backhand. It bounces off a Seattle body. Yanni Gord. He is desperate to try to make something happen here, but it's one on three. Tries to get away from Kel McCarr, but he makes the pass under duress and gets this nicely here for number 29. 
McKinnon off the draw for Byron. Right in the slot. Big slap shot and a good save for the cord. Nalnachuskin right in the middle of the circles. Ball on Byron. Cross pass. Tees up the bomb. This goes wide back and he goes up. It's on top of the crease. Alexiak trying to put a glove on it. As Nachuskin will get a piece of it. That was on the top of the bar and rolled back into play. My goodness. Colorado now will get this on the blue line side. Bowen Byram will spin it back. Pass goes wide. Just holds the blue line though. Bowen Byram touch pass. Tried to get it back. Byram spins it around the inboards now as this gets blown dead. My goodness. So we have some pushing and shoving at center ice at the end of this. Grabs a little scuffle over at the Sea Monster logo up at the letter S. seen this with you on this side the first time for both of us is it was a backhand Nathan McKinnon trying to hit it off the top of the mesh or the top of the bar off the net as the rebound was still alive for another 30 seconds after that Colorado was funneling chances at the net and they're probably lucky that uh, Seattle didn't concede another one yeah yeah because when, when you look Seattle's even having no answers for the Avalanche ever since those back-to-back -back goals in the second period. It's been all Avalanche from here on out. I know, Ian, you wanted to get to the Monday night game. What were you saying earlier? I don't know if he stepped away or if he's still around on that. I think he's on mute. But he wanted, he wanted to get onto that Bills-Broncos game. Well, I just saw the ending of it, what was it? <sighs> Final score, 24-22 Broncos. And this is what happened. So, there's going to be debate on this, but final gasp of breath for the Broncos. The final play, they are without a timeout. They run a play, Jerry Judy gets open, Russell Wilson just flings it up towards him. And Taron, and, and granted, the ball's underthrown, but Taron Johnson just barrels into Jerry Judy. Doesn't even look, he turns his head too late towards the ball. Pass interference is called. There's 13 seconds left on the clock. They kneel it down, oh no, kneel it down until there's 13 seconds left on the clock. And then they send the field goal unit out there while the clock is running. They get the kickoff from 41 yards. They missed. The Bills should have won, right? A penalty. 12 men on the defense, and with four seconds left, the Broncos get another shot, and they make it. Bills lose. That was it. Like, how? How do you... 
And speaking of how, how did Joey Decord stop that? How in the world did he stop that? Logan O'Connor was on a rush of a pretty much three-on-one, and he might have saved the game at this point, even if Seattle's up against it. We're in the middle of a four-on-four four for 110. It was uh, offsetting minors for roughing as he went to the commercial break. So four-on-four four for another minute. About 12.25 left to go in this third. John Ott, Alec Nava, and Ian Genji here for Climate Pledge Arena. It's the final meeting of the season between Colorado and Seattle. They've played nothing but spectacular games. And Game 3 in this final regular season meeting has kind of fit that same bill. Over Bjorkstrand now. Across the tentacle S. He'll shoot it high and up and out of play. 12.07 left. In the same way in which I'm asking myself, how in the world do the Bills lose a game like that? I, I, I'm still wanting to know, how in the world did Joey Decord stop that? That might be the game saver Seattle were to come back into this game and get two on, on Colorado. Anything is possible by this point because Anaheim, they made a ridiculous comeback on Boston earlier in the year. Down by two goals in the final two minutes of regulation. Tied at three, winning overtime with Mason McTavish, the OT winner. shot off the face-off win for Seattle, and it was a rare one, and went off the crossbar. And now it's Nachewskin. He's going to win a chip of chase. Here's a cross pass for Johansson, as this one is picked back up now and shoveled away from the blue line side, so Bo and Byram will have to start again. And Alec, I agree with all the points you made with the cord there. We just need to see that push from Seattle, but their goaltender has done the job. What a move from Bo and Byram in his own end. They will brush away the contact, as this is played off the backhand now, and Yanni Gord will go and get a chance to pick this one up. About two seconds left to go on this 4 on 4 We'll be back to full strength on both sides in a long shot. This one will bounce up high and out of play, so we'll return to full strength with 11.22 left, but Dumoulin just rang the top of the pipe. Oh, that close to being a face-off win goal for Brian Dumoulin. And for all the times that Seattle has lost face-offs, this one nearly went towards their favor, as ironic as this sounds given the pace of this game, because Seattle's been outright dominated at the dot throughout this game, nearly did the game that Absolutely. Wenberg trying to win a key draw here. Turbo will spin it back around again. Wenberg and Tanev could have combined for a goal if it wasn't for the goaltender interference. Was it would have been a two nothing lead for Seattle. It would have been a three two game now. As this is played into the traffic now. And this will get spun away. And Tanev will watch this one race back into his own end. It'll be an icing against the Avs if you get a stoppage right at eleven minutes. So Seattle is at the point where the clock is starting to go against them. We've seen some comebacks from down two goals because, let's remember, the two-goal lead is the most dangerous lead in hockey. We've seen many two-goal comebacks before. Rarest it from three goals, even rare from four goals. The rarest from five goals, but two goals can be a feat from any team. And it's got to start with the face-up wins on that side. This time Seattle can't get it in their own end. And across the red line now, here's a chance for two on one. And what a beautiful sequence on the north-south play. And Colorado makes it four to one. And that could be the game. This should feel good for Jonathan Druin. Finally, he gets his first goal as an ab. A long time coming for him when he came over 
in free agency to play with his best friend Nathan McKinnon, and and he and McKinnon go tape to tape on the goal, and it is indeed McKinnon the assist, and nicely done there by McKinnon to give him the first goal of the season. You know, Troon has long been looking for that, and how about this? Two best friends combining on the goal. That's pretty sweet. What about that touch pass that we saw into the neutral zone to set that up? A no-look between-the-legs touch pass leading to a two-on-one and finishing it off the pass. That was gorgeous. Very gorgeous from the neutral zone. Instead of McKinnon and well, how about Miko Ranton at the neutral zone to set that one all up? That was basically Ranton on the setup. Give him the second apple. Man, oh man, the skill that Colorado can possess is on display. The only question is, why is it so off and on? Again, that's what Jared Bednar and company and everybody else wants to know. When we get to the next stoppage, I'll definitely hand this back over to you on this side and finish it off as it's Tanev. This will be picked up now and across the defensive zone. And here come the Avalanche again off the rush. It's Johnson. He'll drop this one across for Wood. Center it back and Decord will brush this away. As Seattle has it, here's his stick chop, as this will be settled right back in for the Avalanche. They've just scored another key goal in this third. And Seattle, for as much pressure as they've had, some of those quick counterattacks, those finger snap moves, that's been in the favor of the Avs, and they've taken advantage of it. Full marks, they've scored some really nice goals. As this is near the right side, Dodd Schultz will try to find it, as this will get flipped away off the long hard stretch. However, Bjorkstrand will bank this in off the left side boards. And Seattle will flip this one back across to Schultz. Pick this up. Wood will send this one with Linsky. And now Tomas Tatar. This will get flipped all the way down back to the court. He will touch this one. And Seattle will look to start again. And Ryan Dumoulin. Dumoulin now. Banked in and across the red line. But here's a chance to get swatted away from Nathan McKinnon. Valnachuskin off the rush. Here's a clapper. This one goes wide. Can it be held in? Yes, it is. As Avalanche continue to keep more pressure here. Number 29 has it near the right side board. So he'll drop it back for Taze into the traffic. This one gets bounced in off behind the cage. The cord taking a look at it. Fake the slap shot. Kale McCarr, Devin Taze, Rister. That goes way wide, but Kale McCarr's there. We'll hold the right side blue line. We'll be back around the inboards now. Miko Ranton in and Nathan McKinnon. First lines back out there. They're already up by three. It kind of feels like overkill. Nathan McKinnon still trying to find his way to get through it. He'll make a pass in between the legs. Ty Cartier did for Devin Tays. And now we'll see if we can get to it. And a great move for Kale McCarr in his own end. Look at that. Keeping it alive off the backhand. Finding the space and flipping it in. Go ahead and take it out. And this has been a complete of an effort as Colorado has been putting up left and right. Because they've been dominating on both sides of the ice as we're winding down here in this third period. With 8.05 to go here in in this game, unless the Seattle can pull off a miracle like what the Toronto Maple did in game four against the Tampa Bay Lightning with Alex Kerfoot, that overtime winner almost fought for him. That was Mark Giordano with his first ever playoff goal in his then 18 year career. He's in year 19 in, the, in, in his playing career. Well, 18 in the NHL because he did not play the NHL in the 08 season. Now 7.35 to go here. And this is a goaltender-heavy Hockey Hall of Fame class. We can go to that upon the intermission to talk about. And this is now played by 
Colorado. Jonathan Druin has first goal as an ab. Nice to be done here. Here for him on the tap pass from Nathan McKinnon on the two on one. It's been all two. When we talk of two on ones, they, the, the, the Seattle Kraken had one earlier on a shorthanded chance. That was waved off because of the successful challenge of Jared Bednar's Adam Larson plays it at the near corner. Around this goes for Bjorstrand. Bjorstrand going over to the net. Dancy is way through. Lost it for the moment. Now a long shot. That goes wide. As the Kraken picked this right back up. There's not going to be an icing on this play. Joey Decor plays it up. And Smoliski heads to, over to the bench. Nice debut for him. 9.45 of playing time. He's plus one on the plus minus with a shot on goal is NHL debut. Abs pick it up with 6.34 to go with Tatar. Who gets tied up? Little backhand beat over to the left side for Devontae, who races after the puck with Will Morgan. And he just casually taps this one in. It's done. We'll get this out over to the far side. And a tap. And this one sticked away by Nathan McKenna, but Yanni Gore was pressuring right after this puck. And it's now picked up by McCarr. What magic can he do? He's dancing his way around, but no further around Will Morgan. Morgan. Stayed with McCarr the entire way. Nice defense to shut down McCarr. But here's Jack Johnson to intercept the pass. With six minutes left in regulation. And a quick save by Joey Decord on a tight angle shot from the place that Brad Marchand scored in game three against the Islanders in 2021. And overtime, we get a stoppage with 5.51 to go in regulation. It's been a goal party here for Colorado. Is two straight periods when he scored two goals. Kel McCarr, Jonathan Druin, 4-1. Looks like Vince Dunn's going to go to the box for an unsportsmanlike. Hey, Bill, there's a sense of frustration with Vince Dunn brewing here because his team is down by three goals. The same margin that they were down in the first game in the regular season series. But keep in mind, it feels like no matter what's happened between these two teams, the road team seems to be having the upper hand throughout this series. Yes, they are. And I didn't mean to hand that play-by-play -play to you like a hot potato, but if we went to the commercial break right at 5.51, I felt like I would have owed you some minutes. So go ahead and finish off the rest of this, and then we'll see what happens on the uh, tomorrow side. Again, if we do the uh, Nuggets and the Clippers... I think that can be fun, but again, as I said, I, I'm not sure which way that game's going to go. I'm also not sure what we're going to see as far as the uh, in-season tournament court designs. I hope the players and the font and everything else doesn't mesh in with the stripe they have in the middle of the court on the in-season courts now. It feels like they're, they're, the NBA may be trying to do too much with the courts. It's all right if you're trying to go decorative. But if you're going with the way the in-season tournament courts are at, they may be getting a little too cute with it. I'm glad that you said that, because I know some people, if I mention that, I'll be called like a Debbie Downer or something like that. Like, I don't like new things. I do, but I mean, just go ahead and just put, like, the in-season tournament fought somewhere in the corner. You don't need to make a giant stripe with a trophy right in the middle of it. <laughs> Yeah.
and Ken Hitchcock. I think those are all names, Alec, on that side. All of them ring a bell, and all of them are well-deserved. And every one of them well-deserved in each and every one of their facets, including King Henrik himself. I believe but the next time when he goes to Madison Square Garden, he's going to get a standing ovation from Rangers fans. Absolutely. So back here with 546 to go here in regulation. He has back on the power play once again. The court going post to post, anticipating a shot from McKinnon. Yeah, was running out clock here on this man advantage. I think they're doing the smart thing because they're protecting a lead. They don't need another goal here, but but it's a double minor for a sportsman like Tom on Vince Dunn. We don't know how much longer he's going to go. As Kyle McCarr is just going to lightly tap his own over to Nathan McKinnon at West at Ovechkin's out. Miss Ryan Johansson going over to the right side now. Now down low at the side of the net. Now back, this goes over to the right side for McKinnon. A quick shot, saved the court. And this puck goes over to McCarr. Back for McKinnon as he goes down low for Ranton. And back for McKinnon. McKinnon trying to serve this for Nachushkin. And a broken stick on the clear. How rare is this? Broken stick on the clear. Not more something that you see in the NHL that much. Nice spin around by McKinnon. Cross side speed. Oh, what a save by the court. Going post to post to stop what would have been the goal that would have Colorado up 5-1. Now here's a shot from Ovi's office that McKinnon gets turned away. Tic-tac-toe from left to right. And here's McKinnon who fakes the shot. Now right back for Devontae's long shot out in front. Doesn't get to the net. 4.28 to go here in regulation. As Colorado is up 4-1. Now McKinnon breaking free. A one-timer saved the court. As he kicked that one out. And Seattle clears this one down. Boy, even though this won't matter much, the court had one of the prettiest saves of the NHL season. Yeah, he did, especially off the three-on-one side. They were wondering how that happened. I feel like Nathan McKinnon's just showing off with that half spin and the one T setup. That was gorgeous. <laughs> the one T setup and the half spin along the near side boards. As pretty as it can get. For number 29 in the Cerulean and Burgundy. Place whistle dead. But no doubt that when you have three of the top 10 players or top 15 players yeah. in the league, of course you're going to get the results like these. You know, McKenna putting Brandon Tannen on the spin cycle. Wow. Yeah, that's absolutely ridiculous. Again, for Nathan McKinnon. I don't know if he gets talked about as much as he should, but wow! Joey Decord gets all the way over and absolutely robs Belichuskin. It's amazing that four goals have been scored. He's made a couple highlight reel robbery saves. It's amazing that even though the Avalanche, they've scored four goals, and, and for how much the Kraken defense has been, we, we don't know the proper term to say it, but right. Joey Decord, he, he has been... As sharp as he can be on these highlight reel saves, including that one with McKinnon on the spin cycle. And had the Chushkin put that in, it would have been a moment where the assist was prettier than the goal. <laughs> yes. Yes, uh, now, four on four. And I feel that there may be the penalties mounting up here throughout this game. We're going to commercial break as we get another stoppage. And perhaps the last one of this game mercifully, with 3.37 to go regulation. We know that Vince Dunn had an angry word or two with the refs. We don't know what this recent penalty is about, but we know that Devontae's, or that was actually Ty Cartier, Vince Dunn, 
they both got penalties. Cartier on Sportsmanlike done slashing Cartier. His penalty is getting served by Ryan Winterton, and done is tossed. The what? The latest one that I see right now that they mentioned on the Root Sports feed with John Forslund is a slashing against Schultz. I believe it's going to be a four on three now. And if you think about the personnel that could be on the ice, Alec, Nathan McKinnon, Miko Rantanen, Kel McCarr, and take your pick. My goodness, if you're Seattle and Joey Decord, you better get an extra sip of that Gatorade. It, it, it feels like you need to match that talent that Colorado has. And we noted about when we go back to the Rangers-Red Wings game, the same thing that we said the Rangers can't be applied to the Avalanche here. Because even though the Avalanche on 5-on-5 five five, and there are five skaters on the ice each side, it feels like the Avalanche have six guys yeah. on the ice from the second period forward. And I will say this, I know it's only one power play marker for the Avalanche, but if it wasn't for Joy Decord over the last couple minutes there, it would have easily been more. I think at least Jared Bednar, regardless of Seattle's defensive situation, I completely agree with you. I think they've been a little lax, especially on the Kel McCarr goal. That's kind of inexcusable. But Colorado definitely could have scored more than one power play. They look good today. This is the power play that Colorado has needed to get into bounce-back form if they were to reestablish any sort of winning form. Because losing five of your last seven seems troubling, but if you need a win like this, you're going to take it any day of the week. Yeah, they look dominant for the most part, especially as this game got later and later in this third period. <laughs> they can go back home, watching over from the mountains as Uncle Rico froze over the mountains. <laughs> <laughs> on the Rico-wide pass, Kia Kill Bacar just played some catch, and Bacar scores again! Two! From Kale McCarr, it might have been tipped by Valnichushkin, but that may seal it off here. 5-1, Colorado. Well, you know how I just said Colorado's power play had only scored one and they look good? Well, now they scored two. You get more needless penalties there, and Valnichushkin, I believe he's going to get the tip, but that's about his target practice and as easy as you like between McKinnon, McCarr, and Nichushkin. They kind of play catch, they find the lane, and Val gets a stick on it. Beautiful goal. Yeah, you, you said it perfectly. This was nothing more than just target practice for Kale McCarr. It, it was his shots, but Natushka, he wanted one, and he, he got the net from presence, like what yep. Arturi Lekinen and Gabe Landeskog would do if they were on this active roster for Colorado. They would normally do that on a nightly basis if, if we see Colorado fully healthy lineup. Perhaps you could see that next season because we won't be seeing Landis. Scott until at least next year, but so far so good for Colorado in a win that they have desperately been looking for. Three minutes until it's official, and Seattle brings it in, but they immediately turn it over. Boy, this could not go any worse for Seattle in this game after they drop one to Edmonton in the day just before Jay Woodcroft got fired as shocker. And the core sees this one all the way on the shot from the right point. 2.44 to go until this one's all wrapped up. So, looks like Colorado, Alec, did their Seattle Kraken impression. Five different goals from five different goal scorers. And I'll just be honest, again, 
I think you and I expected Colorado to come back and probably punch Seattle right in the mouth. And that's what they did. But their defensive effort today, especially like maybe toward the final 30 minutes of this game, was not very good. And you cannot take needless penalties and leave Joey Decord hung out to dry because the 5-1 scoreline is not indicative to how Joey Decord played. I thought he did pretty good today. Yeah, he's been looking like he's a number one goaltender of the future in Seattle just as they ice it. But if this is a sign of things to come given the start that he has had, and I'm going to pull up his stats real quick heading into tonight. 914 save percentage, 259 goals against average. Certainly an improvement here, but if you, but if I fill group hour, I may be getting a bit nervous. Yeah. I agree with you because, again, you go from 259 to 320. I know it's going to get elevated in this game, but he's pretty much outplaying Phillip right now. Yeah, this is not what the Kraken had in mind when they signed Grubauer to that six-year deal. We get another stoppage here, and it seems like we're getting more and more pauses here by these referees and more and more face-offs. Perhaps to pat the stats on the face-off circle for the avalanche on one end. <laughs> We're not sure about this, but, you know, everything has gone the, the abs way. Yeah, and as you said, from the 8-2, from being shut out three times in the 5 out of 7 losing streak, this was badly needed for the Avalanche. They looked much more like themselves. The only question now is, is it sustainable? Can they keep doing this? And yeah, even though we are not seeing Riley Tufty, in which, we, in which I thought originally that he was going to be on the lineup to lineup tonight this wasn't the case as we get another stoppage in on the altitude network <laughs> the evolution of brandon tanner's headshots seeing ghosts <laughs> i'm glad that you have that on that side because i don't have the luxury of it but brandon tanner's got the best faces in the league <laughs> some of the best that we have seen ever bar none even Kasperi Kappen in that one year, he had to pay tribute to Brandon Tanner's headshots. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, back when Kappen was a member of the Penguins. And with how he's doing with the St. Louis Blues, a reinvigorated sense of confidence on the second line, back to being on a scoring role. Now 90 seconds left until this is over. And the Avalanche are going to join the Broncos on the Victory Tuesday Parade. Perhaps. <laughs> now just over the far corner as Colorado just doing their best to run down the clock as Ross Colton trying to get one for a good measure because why not? And our save from Joey Decord who has faced 31 shots on the night. But man, he's, he's had to do basically his Herculean impression because he's getting shelled left and right yeah. by a, a litany of Avalanche shots. But... It's been an avalanche of goodwill if you're a Colorado sports fan between in the Avalanche, the Broncos, and, and the Nuggets. Well, even though the Nuggets lost to the Rockets, they still have to be feeling good about themselves heading into tomorrow night when they go and face the L.A. Clippers. Well, who could have expected us perhaps calling two straight games of Colorado sports? Yeah, it's uh, pretty good right now if you're an Avs fan and everybody else in the state of Colorado. And the only missing piece is the Colorado Rockies. That, they're going to be waiting a while, my friend. <laughs> yeah, they're going to be waiting a while for the Rockies. And 
goes for one last takedown, and the Kraken, they're just going to run this down. 5-1, the final for the Avalanche, as they wrap it up with every road team in this regular season series taking all three wins. And congratulations to Jared Bednar for his 300th career NHL win. Very cool on that side. Very well deserved. He's probably going to be one of the highest winning coaches ever in the Colorado Avalanche history when it's all said and done. Again, a combined score on the road side of the two out of three for the Avalanche. They've outscored the Kraken 9-2 in those last two wins. They look pretty good there on that side. And again for the Avalanches, they improved to 9-5. And, and Seattle falls to 5-8-3. I'm just going to go ahead and click on the upcoming schedule here for Colorado just because I'm interested to see what they got in front of them. They'll have Anaheim and Ball Arena on Wednesday and then Dallas on Saturday. That's going to be a good one at 8 p.m. Eastern. But Nashville, Vancouver, Minnesota, Calgary, Tampa. These might, this might be some games here, Alec, where the Avalanche can go on a little bit of a run here. Yeah, yeah, these are not gimmies by any means. We talk about Dallas, Vancouver, Tampa Bay. You know, these are all toss-up games. Right. Anaheim, they may have, they went off to a hot start as of late, but as of, uh, but as of recently, with two straight losses, even though they beat the San Jose Sharks, perhaps a little, uh, perhaps a little run of, hey, maybe you should calm down your expectations yes. for the top, even after that winning streak. But I want to speak on the dogs. Oh, what, what that, that one goal by Radko Gudis from what uh, we've seen in the replays. What on earth? Again, you'd have to fill me that. You'd have to fill me in on the Radko Gudis goal. What did I miss? All right, the Radko Gudis goal. So he shot it from the right point. It deflects off a short stick, went up in the air, and then in the net. Oh my, and this was the last one against San Jose? Yeah, it was the last okay. one against San Jose. I'm going to go ahead and look that one up so I'll have some uh, theater viewing when the time that this one's done. We've seen some uh, weird goals. We've seen an almost goal in this one that went off the top of the post, up on the mesh, and then still went back into play. But today, Alec, I think this was a good old-fashioned butt-kicking served by the uh, Colorado Avalanche against the Kraken. Yeah, the two points that they really looked for to end up a losing skid, perhaps for good now that they got the Ducks next, the stars in a, a, the hangar as they, or the house that Dirk built. And you think about the Mavericks in basketball, the hangar because it's American Airlines Center. Then the Predators at Bridgestone, they go back home to face the Canucks, the Wild on the road, the Flames at home, and then the Lightning at home on the Thanksgiving week and the Black Friday side should be a nice stretch for Colorado on the month of November. Yeah, I think so too. That's what we're alluding to. We, I'm going to expect that Colorado starts to pick it up a little bit, bank some points, and we will see what happens with them as the season goes forward. And for Vancouver, man, oh man, they've looked good to start the year. I think I might do that game on Thursday's side against the Flames. We'll figure that one out. But I think we're going to join Alec tomorrow for the uh, Clippers and the Nuggets. We can't promise you that that game's going to be close, but I think at least stick around on the side of it because I might have some things to say depending on how bad the Clippers play. <laughs> <laughs> it should be a theater of art. 
no matter how it goes. Sounds good, my friend. So we'll talk again tomorrow and uh, hopefully have some fun with the in-season tournament. Thank you for joining me for this one. It was a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun here tonight. We'll see you tomorrow, guys. Sounds good. Take care, everybody. Good night, everyone.